This is episode five of No Major Opinions. Just a quick roll call. I'm Nagleria. I'm Lanayru. Hello. I'm Caveman. Dark Fox is also also he'll you'll see him later. And I'm Omni Gamer. Hey everybody. I, I guess just before we get into it, it's like anything uh, anything hot recently people been getting into. I know the SGDQ registration opened. Who got in? Yeah, yeah. I haven't submitted anything yet because I haven't decided what games I haven't been running all year. I want to pretend that I've been running every day so I can get a run in the marathon yet. But um, it'll happen, I'm sure. Haven't you had a game in every marathon you've been to yet? No, I didn't have games. I've had. I've not had. Uh, I didn't have games in SGDQ 2017, and I didn't go to or something. Something happened. I didn't go to the last. The no. <laughs> Just because I know that, like, there's games that you got in which I don't understand why they got in. <laughs> and it's, it's it seems me, like you're man. just, it's like you were, you're, you're the master of the uh, submission process. Like, you can get any hot Look, garbage. I, I used to think that, but, you know, <laughs> only recently have I been back at GDQs. It was the year without Caveman. It was a dark time. <laughs> uh, Lanayru, he's. Uh, you're like he's NASA staff and shit, but I think it's your first time on the No Major Opinions. It so. is, yeah, crazy. Someone who's in radio and they've never been on this podcast. How dare that happen? What do you do in radio? Because I know it's like you do radio, but I don't know. Well, right now I'm almost done my program. I'm currently doing an internship at a radio station in Toronto. I won't give full details on that, but I am at a radio station right now, and I've been helping out with production there. And after that, it'll be hopefully an on-air gig somewhere. Possibly in Alberta, if all hell fails in Ontario. <laughs> Will you be doing live or pre-recorded? Um, that depends on the company. <laughs> yeah, it does. Also, Dark Fox, welcome to the stream. Hello. Uh, you, you've been up to anything the past since the last episode? Uh, not really. I've been really busy. So yeah, nothing. <laughs> cool. And Omni Gamer, I mean, like you've been you you don't you've done a handful of things uh, like recently and over the past few years. Uh, what's 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 the first thing on your mind <laughs> of the uh, past few weeks? I guess. I mean, all all that I've been doing um, for the last like two months is working on um, doing production stuff for my book. Like I've had the text for the book done since last July, and that just tells you how much more there is on top of it when you try to start including pictures and laying out everything nicely and stuff like that. And there's, there's just a lot to do with it. So uh, I've been doing that probably uh, a couple hours every night for like the last two months. I remember on SDA you had a thread on like the theory of speed running sort of thing. I guess like the book is sort of like the production quality of that f- forum thread. There's a couple different things. A long time ago I made a, a thread that was basically asking like, if you were going to make an all-in-one guide of how to speedrun, like here's all the different sections that I think would go in there, who has things that they would like to contribute. And like any genre of game and any, just like a one-stop shop, yeah. Yeah, just, just something to, how to really think about trying to make yourself good at a speed game and to make your route not suck and the rest of that stuff. Um, at the time, like people were like, yeah, this is great, but it looks like a lot of work. And so nobody did anything on it. Speedrunners are notoriously <laughs> uh, lazy. Uh, and uh, yeah, so a couple of years after that, uh, I just said, hey, you know what? I've got, I've got the ability to do this, and I've got the drive, the motivation to do it right now, so I'll get it done, because I, I don't know that I will have that same motivation a couple of years in the, the future. 
how long have you been speedrunning? Because I know you've been at a bunch of GDQs and you've probably been running games before that, maybe. Uh, let's see. My first, my first completed run was Skyblazer in 2011. I had known about speedrunning for a while before that. Like I, I used to collect internet videos before YouTube was a thing. So I went around and I would check out SDA's early incarnation and grab cool videos from there because you don't really get to see anything like that. Uh, like we take it for granted now. There's all these resources, all sorts of different games have runs and that kind of thing. But if you go to like 2005 era SDA, you look on there's maybe 60 games in the entire games list. And that is the world of speedrunning. Like, there's just not much more than that. Uh, so what you get from there is is how you take it. And, like, before that, um, I got... I saw the, the famous Morimoto video, which I think inspired a lot of people. And um, believe it or not, my brother, my younger brother, was actually the first speedrunner in my family. And in, like, 2004, 2005, he was trying to do Metroid Prime speedruns recording the VHS and he was going to send them in. I don't think we actually did that. I think we actually still have them at the house. But so I've I've known about it, but I didn't get involved until 2011. I want to do a joke about how you have a tape oh, yeah, of I've the evidence. <laughs> Nobody cares about shitty tapes. Though. The evidence is it's there somewhere. It's got to be. Got to be. Yeah, and then 2011, um I was just out of uh, undergrad so starting grad school, I had extra time on my hands. Uh, and at about that time, my, my roommate had moved out. So doing all the co-op or other things like playing league, you kind of lose out a lot of fun when you're not right there next to your bud. So I needed a new venture. And I remember I started looking back through the internet videos and it's just like, hey, speedrunning. I, I think that's something I can do. When, when did you start uh, collecting SNES games? Because that looks like you've amassed... A decent collection over the yeah over the years. So the story for that goes: when I was living in Dayton, Ohio, this was in like 2012. So if you remember, also on STA, there was the Game Exchange. Oh yeah, and I don't know if it was supposed to be the bad Game Exchange to start, but it definitely turned into that, where you have to give somebody a game and they will run it in return for you running their game that they sent to you. I think even like before it was officially bad, it's like I'm pretty sure everyone was like, I'm going to give him hot garbage, whatever I said. Yeah. So that was actually my intro to collecting because I lived pretty close to three retro shops that got new stock all the time. And I would just, uh, every Saturday, I would take an hour and a half, go around, visit all three, and pick up their like bargain basement um, SNES games that look particularly... Uh, raunchy and <laughs> well then I got a lot of games and I'm like well hey I've gotten this many I might as well continue to improve it uh, how many like do you not have do you know I actually have a list somewhere I don't count sports games anymore because I understand sports, completely fair, fair. <laughs> um, but I like not including the sports games I think there's between 10 and 15 games that I'm missing and that's, I think the SNES had like 700? Uh, 730 something. Um, it depends on what you count and whether or not you yeah. include like Brazilian releases and stuff like that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, getting, getting pretty up there. What would you say was the hardest game in your collection that you've had to find at the stores? 
I don't know about hard because I don't really like I have I have a list that I check through every once in a while, but uh, for the main thing is I just kind of keep it in the back of my head. And as I'm going through a store, if I see a title that looks familiar and it's just like, I don't think I have that, then I'll check the price and it's just like, well, if I can stomach it at the moment, I'll pick it up. But there were a couple uh, instances of games that I found that were either mismarked or, or otherwise that were extra cheap for what they should have been. Uh, the one that I'm remembering the most right now is um, Captain Commando, uh, which I got for $3. And I think it sells for 125 or something right now. So, do you like prowl garage sales or anything like that? <laughs> no, I don't. I'm really bad about garage sales. Like, I'll, I'll pass by a sign and like, I should check that out, and then I never do. Yeah, I, I can't remember what it was, but they would like they, they would go to garage sales, but also buy like every time there was like an eBay thing for like games in bulk, just like a cardboard box full of like a hundred games. It's like they would get that, and yeah, they would just never, like try know. to find try to find that diamond in the rough, and like. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> I remember, like, like some collectors, they just they have like all sorts of like uh, like hardcore strategies, where you could take it a little less uh, strenuous on the mental. No, I, I'm not that into it. Uh, I I get games loose because I intend to play them, and I don't have a lot of room to place boxes and whatever else. So yeah, yeah, I, I pick up what I find when I find it, and I'm not too gung ho about getting out there. Early on, I just I just hit 200 PS1 games myself, and I thought I felt I was feeling pretty good about that. But every time I, <laughs> every time I remember that that I'm oh yeah, there's only, only so you're like 10 percent of the way there. You know, 4,000 more to go. <laughs> yeah, I started collecting games and stuff, but then I was like, I'm cheap, so we just just got that EverDrive. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> never again. Uh, the the old uh, GDQs where I would travel, I'd have an entire suitcase that I would just carry around my games and my systems in. Yeah, I think it was a you and Ness Kamikaze would have like a dedicated suitcase of of games. Yeah, and that was before <laughs> flash drives. So uh, now I travel a lot lighter. Yeah, uh, I, I imagine like the OSSC kind of would if you're like trying to transport a rig, you that would save a lot of room if you had like RGB setups or consoles. It depends. Like if you're if your consoles only do the the RGB output at that point, and you can't reliably get any kind of analog inputs to your hotel TV or anything else that you'd want to play it on, then yeah, you can use OSSC. That'd be a lot more contextual, but it's text text improved a lot in that area. It has. Software as well. Like you've you've made a uh, hitbox viewers, right? And stuff like that. Oh yeah. Oh, input displays, hitbox viewers and I've I've had too many projects, I would guess. Like more than half of the games that I've speedrun, I've made a hitbox viewer for, and then another uh, five to ten on top of that, I've just made viewers for for other people because it's kind of fun. How hard is that to make? Because I have no idea what that entails. Um, I have a groove for it now. So, uh, like the first when I was first getting into it and trying to figure out how everything worked in the game internals and stuff like that, uh, it was it was rough. Like it probably took the better part of a week to uh, figure out and come up with the appropriate way to code it and everything. Um, now. I think I, I made one viewer in a night, um, one of the most recent ones. But a lot of it has to do with how the game is coded. So I imagine it's like it, you'd ha- it, you can't have like a, a program to do it for like a bunch. It's like a one every game would be a per game basis sort of deal. Yeah, every game does it differently, and the trick is how easy it is it for you to figure out what that setup is. So 
it's just about data structures. If we want to go computer science stuff here, but if you think of like here's here's your enemy in in memory, there's going to be a whole block, and that that block is just like HP defense attack, blah blah blah, and it's like all right there. So if you find the HP, you can find the rest of that, and a lot of times they'll have hitbox information as part of that. So if that's the way that it's set up, great. That's really easy for me to work with. Uh, other times it might be that they actually have some routine that they need to go through for a specific enemy. And that is impossible. <laughs> um, like instead of all this inf information on hitbox stuff, it's like, yeah, you're going to jump to this code block instead. Kind of like collision detection sort of deal where it's just like it has some non... It's like, like it, every it, attack would have its own uh, way of determining whether it was in or out of a hitbox. And so you don't just have a set of numbers to work with that says, yes, there's a box about that big that here's the, the attack. It's, yeah, I'm going to go into this algorithm, and the algorithm's going to tell me how big my box is. And that there's no easy way to set up a script for that. But yeah, hitbox viewers are, are fun, and they have helped me out in a bunch of games. Uh, other things, I had a program where just input viewers for controllers, so you can um, play directly on your console, and it'll just monitor what's going on with the inputs and do a fancy display and all the rest of that stuff. Um, as part of that, I also wanted it to be so that you could record your inputs over a play session and then actually play them back. So if you think of the concept of a TAS where you have this movie file that just plays the inputs, uh, you'd actually be able to do that on console too. And I put that out. You can go download it if you have the right hardware to actually run it and so on. But it's hit or miss. Like, there's a lot of complications for it. I've had it sync up for like 12 minutes of gameplay. I've had it desync immediately. It needs some some improvement, but like, I'd like to see that be more feasible later. I imagine that like the the sync issues would be like per console. I remember uh, the, like Taskblock or something. They talked about how the the Game Boy or Game Boy Player. It's like they have a thing like in on the that goes to the controller that that tells like when the you know, when frames start and end, so it's a lot easier to do, but not all consoles might be as nice for uh, sync issues. Have you done input viewers for anything that's like 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 a weird console, not like the just a Nintendo something? Or? Uh, I haven't made any, but from a technical standpoint, there's nothing too difficult about interfacing with any of them until you start to go wireless, and then good luck. What about like motion controls? Do you think when do you think that'll be a thing? I, if you have a way to basically leech onto the um, the communication that's going back and forth between the Wii and the controller or whatever else, then yeah, you should be able to do it. Uh, there's probably actually tools out there, but I'm just not familiar with them. Because I, I think like uh, it'd be funny to have like you know five Wii set up, all like one controller going to each. Somehow you like. To, and then like computers, and you can <laughs> do weird stuff if you could capture, like record that somehow or mm -hmm. something. Yeah, there, there's a lot of potential goofy shit you could do. I don't know, but it, it'll take work to get there. But currently, it's like you and a handful of other people do input stuff. I, I have like a an Arduino. The firmware was uh, made by someone else, but it's like the soldering is it, 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 it's not difficult to do like hardware-wise making the wires. It's just like the actual software and code stuff. That's like, you, you need to have special training to actually write a program that does what you want it to do there. Well, yeah, but for the 
program side, so long as somebody makes it, like that's it. You know, like you can distribute it everywhere, everybody uses the same thing. It's simple enough so long as they have a similar setup. But um, that is actually one of my long-term projects to make just a single device for a bunch of different consoles that would act as an input viewer so you wouldn't have to mess up at a controller extender cord to get into and tap your um, thing anymore. And I've got plans for that. Maybe when I have time, eventually it'll come out. So would it just be like a like a plug and play box that has like universal ports on it? Well, uh, that's a different project. But <laughs> um, just think of like let's say you you get your PlayStation controller. Okay, port, that's a good. That's a good. Like I, a, I can understand a little <laughs> little block you put in front of the the controller, and then you plug your controller into it. So it's just kind of like a little interposer between you and the console, and then that hooks up to your computer through USB. And does all the magic that way, and you don't lose anything. All right. Well, I'm hoping eventually AGDQs will have every game is like the inputs are logged as well as the uh, VOD. Because <laughs> I know you're helping out. You help out with GDQs and stuff. Seeing stuff like that would be really cool. Yeah. <laughs> We just need the layout a little more crowded in the GDQ layout. We need an input viewer. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the, I don't, that's no, I don't think you. Should, I don't think you'd need to put that on stream, but just have it. Just, just have like, it. Just have it dumped to like a text file that anyone can check. Just like for for anyone that wants it, here's the inputs. Go esports. God. Beyond just being cool that it can be done, it could you could find some use for it. Could use it for like an interview, like you know maybe there's a hard, crazy button combination you have to do for a game and you got the inputs logged so then whoever's interviewing can go like, all right, so look at this inputting, you know, something like that. I don't know. But like, so what do you do for GDQ tech-wise um, that, you, so, that you can talk about? Yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I am, I basically support, um, during the events, I am one of the primary, uh, what are called stage techs. So, uh, most of my duties will be responsible for getting consoles out there, hooking them up, getting the runners prepared, moving people off the stage if they're hanging out too long in between runs. Um, basically just the prep work for um, getting everything in place in between those individual runs. Um, outside of that, I, I provide support as far as just insight into what kind of technologies might help our, our video workflow um, how to better capture certain consoles. I do a lot of testing of, say, individual games or trying to make sure that certain pieces of hardware aren't going to give us trouble. In the past, I've also sourced equipment. So the, a fair bit of everything, but pretty much all of it, just making sure that we have uh, an event that can go despite any unforeseen circumstances. I have a question. Yeah. How come no one on GDQ staff seems to understand the concept of cable ties? <laughs> oh, we do. There's uh, cable ties all over the place. Yeah. I think you might be referring to that picture that <laughs> circulated social media from day negative two setup. That, 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 that same picture gets tweeted every single GDQ. I mean, <laughs> but when you have like, <laughs> I feel like I want to answer this on his behalf. Just like when you have like a, a temporary setup, shit's gonna be messy. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, having done the NASA setup, I totally get why things are so messy. But the thing is, is that uh, I was mostly just making a joke. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, as far as your guys' equipment, do you guys use, like, what kind of stuff do you actually hook the consoles into? 
Like, what does the actual GDQ chain look like? Are you allowed to discuss that publicly? Um, yeah, I actually think that's been in a document before, and we've talked about it um, in the past. I'm sure it has. But, uh, I mean, it starts out, um, we work primarily with RGB consoles now. So we've sourced a variety of, of RGB consoles where needed. So we have an entire slew of NESs and um, any other consoles that might need modifications to support it. For example, Nintendo 64s and otherwise. And we just have that all around. So we don't have to do any more of the runs back to World 9 and pick up a console for them because we forgot we needed a Saturn coming up or something. I don't know. So that's where it starts. That hooks up by SCART to uh, what's actually a component transcoder. So this is basically taking it from straight RGB space, putting it in a YUV. And the reason that we do that first is because that's a heck of a lot easier to split out. Like, you might lose some amount of quality or, or otherwise, but um, the main thing is that we have a matrix for component, whereas getting a matrix for RGB is still going to be challenging. You're going to be working with a lot of older equipment. And with component, we can run it directly to the TVs without any uh, loss of um, latency, any extra latency induced in the chain. So there we go. There's our analog side. The runners can see it all in real time. Great. That component is also split off to some OSSCs, which handle the upscaling, line doubling, uh, all that that eventually goes out to an HDMI matrix. HDMI matrix distributes it out to uh, various recording pieces, uh, as well as to the audio mixer and then some. So that is the general flow. Um, there's a couple things that we've considered in the past about kind of consolidating some of that, simplifying it so that we don't have to worry about so many different pieces, but there's always caveats, and we may go with some eventually, but right now that's the chain that we're sticking with. That's interesting. It's it's just interesting to hear how you guys have basically gotten to the same end as us, mm -hmm. because your equipment chain is so completely different. <laughs> like, when I heard all of that, my thought was, well, how come you're not just using cable, RGB cables that are made to go out BNC? So that you can just have the cables just go in to a BNC matrix and then push that into the OSSC. So that's that's the thing. You have a BNC matrix, and that's also what for you. Um, so we we're trying to keep up on space in our uh, crib too, but um, okay. it's it's just one of those things. Yeah, I'm just because that's how our setup is. Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious what the yeah you probably you have know, the difference Finextron or or something like that. Yeah, 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 and all of that. What capture cards are you guys using at this point? I, can't, I don't remember. You still rocking the CO27 Avermedia? <laughs> I am. I don't know about GDQ. No, um, <laughs> I am too. It's, it's, uh, it's cheap. It works. Most recently, um, we used a Yuan SC542. Gotcha. Which is an improved model over what everybody knows is the PEX HD caps or the MyCom soft cards or everything else like that. Yeah. Um, but the more recent ones are all four-input HDMI. So yeah. every one of those can do 1080p60. And uh, I had an interesting time testing that out, um, <laughs> just making sure that it wasn't just some uh, brochure hype that couldn't actually support. But it seemed to work fine. So um, that it's held up pretty well. Um, and we've used it for a couple events now. In the uh, speedrunning book you're writing, is there anything on capture stuff like that? Uh, not, not yet. 
And the main reason for that is just that everybody has different needs. Um, like I, by the time that whoever's reading the book gets to it, the like if I were to try and give specific recommendations for equipment, that might just not exist anymore. <laughs> um, and that's the biggest problem. So I can give general recommendations as far as, like if you're going to need some way to get a distribution amp so that you have it going your recording setup and your TV simultaneously, here's what you want to look for in general. Um, you don't want to just use a Y splitter. You don't just want to have it go direct and play off your capture setup because you're likely going to be one hitting quarter second of latency or something like that. But uh, as far as specific equipment, no, I, I don't really go into that detail. I think that makes sense for a book. You don't want yeah. the information to be outdated a year after the book is printed. Mm. I'm sure some of it still will be, but we'll, we'll keep up where I can. <laughs> I guess, like, since you started, like, when did you start writing it, and, like, what's, what has changed, I guess, since then? I've had um, motivation to work on the book since, I think, I did my first interview for it in 2015, but I didn't really start work on it in earnest until probably last year. Throughout 2017 is when the bulk of it was written. Um, before that, a handful of, of different like individual chapters got wrote, written up, but uh, until I pieced together a full uh, kind of consolidated view of what it would be, um, that didn't really come together as, as a book until 2017. I think uh, it was like to mention that Prusy said somewhere that it's like you wanted to write a book for a while. Yeah, it says that oh, in the yeah. introduction like, yeah. of, the, of the preview. I wanted to. I actually wanted to ask a question about that. You said you saw yourself writing fiction, mm -hmm. kind of fiction. Oh, I was going to do fantasy. Uh, I mean, like this is this is me from when I was like thirteen or fourteen. So, swords and dragons and magic is the coolest shit. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's no surprise you speedrun near. Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by, by the way, Omni, what is your book called, and where can viewers of our podcast <laughs> see the preview? Well. Good question, Caveman. This is uh, my book is called Speedrun Science: A Long Guide to Short Playthroughs, and you can find it uh, right now. The sample is available at Fangamer. You can use a quick link. I have um, my own site forwarding to it right now. You can just go to speedrunscience.com, and it'll take you right to their page. It's got a about a thirty-page sample on there. Um, check out what several of the chapters will look like and get a sense of what it's going to cover. I just want to say that's a perfect name for a speedrunning book, <laughs> yeah. in my opinion. Thanks. Um, what's your, uh, what do you think the end length is going to be like? Um, like? How chunky of a book am I going to have, and can I get it on my Kindle? The distribution op options aren't set yet. Uh, at the very least, it will be, the first edition is going to be hardcover, uh, whether or not it's going to show up as a full ebook or paperback copy who knows we'll we'll figure that out with the publisher um, as it gets close to release time in terms of actual length just going by standard word counts which is like 250 words per page i think is the industry standard there it's something like 400 pages that also doesn't include the expectation of putting in pictures and stuff like that though um, I think, given the size that we're going at, we're looking at three to four hundred pages uh, will be the final size. So not not small, but not uh, not quite a textbook either. Lurk also has a quote selected here of perhaps the most significant impact that marathons had on the actual hobby of speedrunning was giving it a tangible purpose. 
Mm-hmm. Is that like a philosophy you share? Like, um, that's something that I, I discuss. So that quote is from the history section. So that's where I'm going through basically pre-speed running all the way through to yesterday, and even on into whatever happens a dozen years from now. What what might we expect in the future of speed running? As we go through, I basically try and talk about the things that speedrunning has, what the expectations are at at every significant era. And that one is specifically talking about the jump that gets made from, yeah, speedrunning is this thing that you can do and you can get a video that's shared on a website into something that, hey, you can actually do this and it'll have some significant impact on the world that uh, is beyond just your own bragging rights and your sense of accomplishment. So that is something that I wanted to highlight as far as the impact that marathons had on the growth and kind of the purpose that people feel for speedrunning. Yeah, because I don't think, like, if GDQs weren't a thing, I don't think speedrunning would have blown up on Twitch like it did. I mean, it's still not uh, the, the most popular thing, but it's like it, there's a lot of people that do, and I don't think it's, like, just because Twitch, more people have done it, it's because purely like the marathons. Well, it's also a good personal motivator, too. So if you have yeah. a bunch of people who get motivated by, hey, I'm going to support charity by playing games because I love to play games and now I get to do something with it too. Um, like that's that's another positive for keeping people doing it as opposed to just, yeah, I, I really like this one game. I'm going to do it and now I'm done and I'm going to leave and go do whatever else. The flip side would be like, there's also people it's like, I, I'll run the game and then after GDQ's over, it's like, all right, done forever, throw the crap away. You could see, it could <laughs> have like a... Who's ever done a thing like that? Like, <laughs> yeah. Because I know <laughs> it's uh, like, because where it's like the marathon culture thing of people, it's like, I will, I will run a game specifically for this marathon and then drop it. And it's like the, the games that people run would be different. It's kind of like weird how it's all well, shaped together. I mean, I think an interesting question is if like GDQ hadn't taken off um, with the charity aspect and everything, do you think that events like NASA, which are not charity based, that are just, you know, meetups with a stream, do you think that it, that would still have happened? Well, yeah, like the only reason I even made NASA was just because GDQs, there's too many people at them. <laughs> I, I wanted something a little smaller. Right. What I'm getting at is, do you think that events like that would have happened on their own, or do you think that GDQ really made marathons happen just by doing it itself? Like, do you think that naturally we would have arrived at this point? Because, I, yeah, I, I think like, like GD, like marathons, like GDQs, like that. Without charity, it's like they still would have grown, but I don't think like the rate would have been nearly as high. It's kind of hard to say, you know, what could have happened ten years ago if things went differently. But I get the sense that um, meetups would have happened one way or another, regardless. Just because if you have people with a common interest, they're going to find a way to celebrate that with one another. And I mean, from my experience in this, uh, a long time ago, I was involved with the Super Smash Brothers Melee community. And this was at a time when you'd go to a tournament and having 32 people turn out at a tournament was a big show. Like that was, that was a big event. It was very intimate. Like you got to know everybody. You saw them at basically all the same tournaments that you would go to. And um, honestly, it was, it was a blast. And like this was pre-streaming. For the most part, it was pre-YouTube. But um, those kind of events will make their way into it. Uh, and now we just have this easier kind of viewport into it with streaming that other people can participate vicariously by watching people have a good time and supporting that. 
Yeah, I remember uh, Kirk Hugh asked, well, like, so that's like, hey, Omnigan, have you ever been in, like, this dude's basement? Because <laughs> apparently, like, in his basement every weekend or something, there'd be, like, a little melee get-together, and you're just like, yep. Yep. No, I, I probably know exactly the basement he's talking about, too. There were some, uh, some shenanigans and some very poor goldfish um, that happened with these events, but... Funny, I think it would translate to spirit as well. It's like, yeah, it's like if there's interest in it, people are gonna get together and do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess we're, we're we're fighting games. They would have like money match and like tournaments where it's like there's actual prizes. Speed running, like I guess with the yeah, like seasons and seasons two coming up, it's like that's the closest it kind of gets. Or occasionally, like a dev for a game will be like they'll like the scapegoat two, or they'll do their own little thing. But there's nothing really the same. The closest we have for like a a show is the you know, GDQ marathons or... I think eventually there would have naturally would have been a GDQ analogy, whether it is the GDQ we know as it is now or not. Like, <laughs> the fight a game analogy, like, there's a, there's countless fighting game tournaments. There's only one EVO. And EVO <laughs> didn't start at EVO. EVO started as Battle in the Bay. Just like Games Done Quick did not start as Awesome Games Done Quick. Games Done Quick started as, hey, let's go to MAGFest. And that fell through, and that turned into <laughs> classic games done quick in a basement. Right. It just happened. It was almost an accident. So surely, if enough people started to do meetups and whatever, eventually, especially as streaming became more popular, a certain large annual meetup would have shown up to be the most prominent in the scene. Mm-hmm. Whether, whether it be charity-based or not, that's a different question. Like That yeah. just happened to be the proposed goal of Games Done Quick. Like, there were already charity gaming marathons, and that's where the inspiration came for our mm-hmm. Games Done Quick. And yeah, yeah, I remember the speed gamers where it's like, they, they, they weren't like hardcore speedrunners, it was mainly just a charity thing where it's like, I'll just play this game, I know it pretty well, I'll beat it quickly. That idea predates Games Done Quick. Yep. So, and someone, yeah. one of us, would have known that that existed already, so the mm-hmm. idea was already there before us. Yeah, I remember watching Speed Gamers. Yeah, they still like, they still going. I know. They still I know. do events. It, yeah, if GDQs didn't have the charity, like you know, the Speed Gamers also had the charity. It was the same thing of a charity marathon. It's like GDQs just took off more. Exactly why? That'd be kind of hard to find out, but it's what it is. I I was more getting at like that big charity based event that really got you know a lot of public interest in speedrunning. It really fueled the growth of speedrunning, like, realistically. So, like, where we are now, I don't know if we would have big marathons, like, like I don't know if we would have the community support an event like NASA. I don't think we would. I think if you look at r- across all communities, the largest events have, in some way, a charity incentive across the board. Pretty much, yeah. I think charity is an incentive universally for large groups of people. Whether you agree with the charity or not, that's a, a discussion that we should, probably shouldn't have right now. But <laughs> I don't think anyone's like, you no, know, PCF is, is Satan. I don't think anyone's like that. It's like, usually the only like, uh, disagreement is like, I think there would be a better one or a charity I prefer. Disagreement, I don't think, is the right word. But yeah, outside of like GDQs and ESA, and then like there's RPG, like lim- RPG Limit Break, which I sort of associate with GDQs, just just because it's like a lot of basically the same group that's just like, well, we want to do the lo- longer games, I guess. And then sort of ESA was like just sort of the same thing, but it's like, well, we don't want to travel across the entire planet. It's like every marathon is kind of an offshoot 
of GDQ, which was its own thing molded off of other stuff. It's even better than charity marathons. One way to fuel growth is just a whole big shit ton of pointless drama like Dragster. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about, let's talk about that. <laughs> Because or other miscellaneous drama. You know how many runs are there were on yeah. on, on speedrun.com for dragster before the dragster thread. You know, get, getting some bullshit that, that bolsters interest. If you really want your speed game to thrive, you know, do a big cheated run and announce that a one month later, and then bam, people will start running it. So uh, I should try that. Yeah, oh I, I've thought about doing it myself because I mean, it probably won't get more people running it. But uh, yeah, I want to get right. It's like, when did you uh, start the uh, reverse engineering dragster and all that? Yeah, how so, did you even get the idea to look at it? Dragster happened because of the book. Is is more or less how we're going? Because I wanted some information on early speedrunning. Like I wanted to find what would, what could make sense as the earliest speedrun. You go back dozens of years. There's not a whole lot of games that even have a timer or anything else uh, that you'd associate with that. So there's this whole story and myth with Todd Rogers and how he did the second gear thing and showed the devs and it was awesome and amazing. And it's like, okay, cool. I, I took that as face value. And it's just like, all right, that's, that's a great story. He went in, he showed the devs something that they had never considered and got a faster time. Awesome, sweet. Um, and as part of that segment of the book that I was writing, I wanted to actually be able to describe it better. So like, what was the actual trick that he used? And when I started digging around, like looking at, at the interviews from him, he would say different things. And it wouldn't really match up. So I couldn't really write what he did to achieve this. Like, what, what was the trick? What was the oversight that he used? Um, and then I went over to Task Videos, and there already was a dragster thread there. And people for a couple of years had been trying to find something faster. And they had 557 times for a while. But they couldn't figure out anything other than that. And I think just reading through, uh, at one point in the thread, there was a post that said, well, as far as I know, this, this is the limit of what we've got right now. Uh, until somebody reverse engineers this game, I don't think that we're going to have any improvement. And it's just like, well, I could do that. I've got those skills. Got myself some dragster. Um, got the binary and started plugging away. Have you ever disassembled a game before like that, or, or not just disassembled, but like reverse, like almost reverse engineer, like the gameplay? Well, let me let me back up a little bit first. My my day job is as I'm a cybersecurity researcher, so I have some formal training with reverse engineering and that kind of thing. So I've done reverse engineering before. I, I know how to to look at a binary and how to work through things. For games specifically, a lot of times I've, I've relied on tools that are in emulators and then just kind of putting it together. But luckily, uh, the, the assembly language architecture that gets used in the Atari is the same on Super Nintendo, which is what I'm most familiar with. So um, I was very quickly able to get in and, and kind of learn what it was. But the big thing was I knew how to use the tools to do a full disassembly as opposed to just... Um, the simple setup, and that allowed me to get a much better idea much more quickly of how everything interacted and uh, what the possibilities were for traveling from one branch to the other. How long did it take you to disassemble it once you like had the ROM and all that stuff or whatever? I mean, disassembling, it's like instant. 
because of programming. Oh, yeah, I guess uh, to understand it, understand um, it all. Yeah, it took it took probably an afternoon or two. Um, <laughs> the the game's two kilobytes, so it's an Atari game. There's there's not a whole lot there. It's more of just trying to infer what it's trying to do at different points and work my way through it that way. It wasn't too bad. Uh, there were a lot of things that at first. Uh, I would gloss over because they weren't particularly relevant, and I could just go back to them later after I noticed some better information on them or figured out how they were actually used based on what I had available in the code. Uh, and what I could do in an emulator, I started to put together all the individual things of, well, what is the fastest you could do? And I just started working through and doing that in an emulator, even with like tasks, Studio and, and all the rest of the, the fun stuff that they have in, in BizHawk and stuff like that. Uh, it's really tedious when you're trying to like rewind back, okay, do I do a shift here? Do I hold the, the button here? And so on. Uh, so instead, I started to just condense the math for how to go into a spreadsheet. And then I used that, checked it against what was going on in the emulator, and use that to basically pre-design what inputs I wanted to use to test in the emulator. And then I had the spreadsheet. And like it was a tool for me to start. And I realized, hey, other people can do this too. So I just dressed it up a little bit, got rid of all the extra bonus notes that I had left around and made it a little prettier and um, released it. And that was my initial discussion, uh, my post on, on Reddit or wherever else I put it about hey, uh, this is the best that I've found. Maybe you guys can find something better. Go right ahead. Here's this tool. The The idea from that was to crowdsource it as well as to kind of fact check my work. Like, hey, can you get a result in, in Dragster that doesn't match up to the spreadsheet? Yeah, I remember it's like I, 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 like I followed all the drama and stuff, but the first time I actually saw the spreadsheet... Uh, since I, I wasn't particularly interested in the actual math, just like the uh, the fandom of Todd Rogers and stuff like that. First time I actually saw it was on the Ben Heck episode where mm -hmm. he confirmed on hardware, yep, this works. <laughs> and that's like, I was laughing so hard. It was just like, I, I, and from the, like reading other posts, it's like, you know, Todd Rogers had a history of like people trying to, like with barnstorming or other games where it's like he had a score that they could they proved was not possible and then like uh like like fandom uh, is what like prevented actual like corrections from being done about inaccurate scores and stuff like that so it's like and this is like a long term thing so it's not like you were the first to you know question the yeah. mighty Todd Rogers and it's I, I've been accused of a lot of things after <laughs> putting out that that first. Uh, post, like I was trying to ride his coattails, um, yeah. bring him down to gain my own fame or something, something. Which is funny because it's like other people were like way more serious or like accusatory. They didn't even ask. It's like, well, what what did he do? They're just like, no, he did it wrong. This is it's it's so it's like it's kind of surprising the reaction that it got. I I think uh, mm -hmm. on TG. Like what, what? What's your reaction to their response? Like, yeah, take us through the initial cred, the initial thread nonsense, and the criticism to where we are now. The conclusion: you've been validated. You're oh, a hero, <laughs> the hero of speedrunning. So, <laughs> I, I've had actually people send me messages thanking me for my videos 
specifically linking to Apollo's videos. Um, <laughs> in any case, <laughs> um, after I initially made that task and I made that Reddit post, uh, eventually Tampa actually shared it on TG because Tampa is is I don't know if active is the right word, but he he participates. He's still alive. He participates in TG sometimes. Him and Zallard are the ones only ones I like know that do. So he shared a link with that, and they had uh, an impossible scores thread, which is a natural place for it to go. Uh, when he did that, the the thread page count was like thirty four, or something like that. <laughs> Um, and he sent me a note sent saying that he's, he shared it there. Um, and then, like, immediately after it went up, a whole bunch of people started piling on. It's just like, well, I just called up Todd, and he said he did it in front of the developers, so booyah, or something like that. <laughs> so I ended up making an account going through their stupid verification system. Oh, yeah. I, I wanted to make a verified account, too, but, the, like, you need to phone them on, a, like, a phone a robot yes, that gives yeah. you a code. Apparently, in the past, you would call a real person, and they would, they would do it, and it wasn't even a robot. Jesus. But in any case, um, I made an account, and I went over there, and, and my whole purpose in just saying anything at TG was like, hey, okay, you guys are a little bit misunderstanding what I did and what it means, so let me help you out here. Just try to get to a common ground, because, I mean, that's, that's just a major pet peeve for me. I hate things falling down just because of misunderstandings. And... Uh, so I wanted to support my work the best I could. Okay, fine. It goes on for a while. A couple people bring up different points, and uh, some of them like are reasonable points. So I'll go and look at it, and it's just like, well, this is what would happen if that were the case, yada, yada, uh, some, some technical stuff. Um, and then it starts getting more philosophical. Um, you can't really come up with a technical argument that tries to defeat... It's entered into the database, which means that it was adjudicated, which means that somebody at the time said it met the requirements. Therefore, it must be factual. My favorite post from Jace Hall was where he had like a, a picture of like a schematic of an Atari and like circled like the, the crystalline processor. Yeah, this like, is where the dragster is. This is the dragster. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, well, there could be some variance here. Yeah, he, yeah. he like, tried to pick out the oscillators. So, yeah, oscillators. Basically, the whatever runs the game, it's the sinusoidal uh, activity that keeps the game in, in lockstep, pretty much. So, okay, that's fine. That would only really matter if the game actually tried to keep sense of real time, as opposed to, well, this is loop 5, I'm going to add .0334, and here we go. Like, even if it was, like, super cold, it would not make a difference. No, it, it would not. Because, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like... The time being, like, in-game, it's based on, like, the instructions. Like, I, I, right. there are so many things where it's like, I, I don't know much about coding, but even I was like, this, this cannot be right, what he's yeah. asking here. Well, so just to, to keep it moving uh, on story time, because there's a whole lot of yeah. story time there. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> that goes back and forth for a while. We settle on some things. I learned some new things about Ataris that basically further say, hey, no, you can't do this. I go back, look at the code a few more times, looking for some extra special things like, hey, does it read inputs multiple times per frame? Does it do uh, any fancy memory tricks on a reset? I don't know. Um, like a whole bunch of stuff that could potentially get to there, and none of it's valid. Like, it, Dragster, for 
for all that you see, it is actually a very well-coded game. I know of exactly one bug in Dragster, and it doesn't affect your time. What does it affect? <laughs> Don't leave me hanging if you bring that shit up. The only thing that the, the bug that I know about does is if you press the reset button as opposed to pressing right, which is the normal way that you'd reset, um, it would just start the race over. Um, your tachometer, so the bar at the bottom, doesn't get reset. So whatever it was at before, you can keep it something like that. Uh, and that's only important because if you're in neutral, which is how you start the race, it goes up by th increments of three. So you can only start the race with an increment of three. Okay, that's fine. Uh, but if you press reset and it's on, say, one uh, an offset of one or two, then you can start with a, a tachometer speed that you can't normally get. Why that doesn't matter? Because if you're a TAS, then you can get the exact same effect simply by letting off gas at certain points in the first gear, and you'll get exactly the same state and get everything fine. Uh, if you're a human, what this means is that you would need to have the tachometer not blow out, be somewhere like on a one or two that you wanted, you'd have to hit reset, and then you'd have to keep the tachometer from going to zero all the while before the race, and then still start frame perfect and do all the rest of that stuff for no gain. So there you go. Would that save in-game time? Okay. It would not save any time. <laughs> That's good. Solid. Yeah. I bet Todd still did it. It's the human element, man. We keep saying all these hypotheticals, but the fact of the matter is... Yeah. It just happened. <laughs> but I started to get a lot more on guard with the thread in general after talk of, hey, we're going to have an event that... Oh, it's yeah. going to go to, and it's going to be great, and it's, he's going to show everybody what he's got, and it'll be for charity and, and wonderful. And that's the only way that he's agreed to come out and like show people what's going on. In that same post, uh, Jay started talking about, this is a, a question of credibility, and this is now a question of the, the annals of, of TG gaming history versus Tassers. And I'm like, hold on, dude. <laughs> Calm, <laughs> calm yourself. <laughs> this is this is one dude who said, "Hey, I did some math, and the time is impossible, and you're not going to turn this into a whole community versus community thing uh, because you feel like it, unless you have either a trump card or something else, um, some some other agenda item in trying to get extra promotion out of this." And from that point on, I was very cautious about dealing with Jace because I simply could not trust him. And he showed it that he couldn't be trusted throughout a number of the rest of the, the threads. And I will say that like the one thing that got me most upset throughout the entire process, it's not like repeating the exact same answers about, hey, this isn't possible. Hey, no, you, you don't understand. Um, here, how, here's how this really works. Like, that's fine. I can deal with trying to help educate people all day long. What I really dislike is when somebody takes something that I am personally very involved with, uh, and in this case, that is, that is science. Like, I'm a researcher. Um, setting up good science is my job. That is very important to me. And when you try to put yourself into a position where, okay, I'm going to set it up so that all of this is, is just how it goes. You haven't met the bar of proof. Uh, this is what SpaceX would do. Uh, that, is, that was an actual um, <laughs> yeah. assertion Amazing. at some point. 
um, like that, that gets me upset because you are trying to um, take over on something that you either through through malice or, or ignorance, you don't understand. The worst part is that they are the only person that has the ability, the power to do anything about it. So it's kind of this, this hopeless fight of you need people to understand, but they are either unwilling or not capable of, of understanding. And because of that, it's going to go nowhere. And, and that was really frustrating for me uh, throughout. Like if, if Jace was sincere about trying to learn things or understand the extent of what he did, like I would have been very happy to actually explain what he was misunderstanding. But um, the sense that I got is that he wanted to be the smartest person in the room always. And whether he had anything, uh, any other agenda aside from that or not, let it run on for months and months. And eventually it turned into the shitstorm that it was. Yeah, I'm really surprised you managed to stay like classy and like polite throughout it all. Because because like after day one, I, I would have just given everyone shit and just been like a big asshole. So you're uh, you're a better man than me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that's another part of my job too. Is just when I have to explain technical details to people who that might not be their their primary field. Like you have to be patient with them. So yeah. I have a lot of practice with that just from doing my regular work. What was the experiment he suggested with building two computers? Oh, he wanted 10 different dragster carts on 10 different Ataris, all of them being fed brute force inputs for as long <laughs> as they needed just to see what would happen eventually. And like brute force, not without any like guidance of like a, a program trying to like optimize distance or something like that, just no. pure... No, Pure you're going in with the assumption that whatever whatever we've already known about the program is potentially flawed. Yeah. So you can't trust any of the analysis that's been done. If you put enough monkeys in a room, eventually one of them will get a 557 in Dragster. That's just fact. <laughs> that, that's basically, he was saying that's the experiment we should do, which is like... I, and, and, and so it's, it's surprising. He basically wanted to do... He, just, he literally just wanted to, to freaking pretend he was cracking Wi-Fi to like... Oh, this would have been way harder to, than Wi-Fi. To get the time? Well, yeah, <laughs> obviously. It would have taken a lot longer. Uh, but like still, like, that doesn't... Like, what does that have to do with anything? That just seems like the dumbest idea I've ever heard. Like, Well, it's, yeah, it's like he's not a researcher scientist, so it's like... Well, I guess in theory, if you sat there, like long enough, you could be like, well, I mean, it's still going. It could still come out with a five. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, his entire point was that, <laughs> hey, if you're going to prove something, you should prove that it is impossible under every conceivable circumstance. Yeah, beyond an unreasonable doubt. If you put an Atari and a TV in a box, there's no telling <laughs> what's in that box. It could no, be an if, amazing dragster time. <laughs> or if you, if you read this post, it could also be a Christmas tree. Could be a Christmas tree. I didn't yep. anticipate that. So yeah, it's a post from Jace, Hector, and Rudy. That's like the the, uh, the previous drag or thread. And it wasn't drag, said, but the thread about uh, when Mike Gerard was caught cheating in Punch Out. It was a lot shorter and condensed. All the good posts were just right there. This one in the dragster has a lot of fluff. I want someone to just take all the good posts from. From Jace, Hector, and Rudy, and just just have a a PDF of those, and that's like I, I need a dramatic reading. Oh no, <laughs> that's what I need. You should do the dramatic. Reading. Okay, I mean that would be that would be slightly more feasible if if most of Jace's <laughs> posts weren't like nine paragraphs of 
completely just like hired hire John St. <laughs> John better. John St. John will read stuff into you in the Duke voice for like a certain amount. Just hire him, it's read true. the whole thing as Duke. Mm-hmm. That's very true. <laughs> when someone's like, when they're proven that it's like they were caught cheating, it's it's like, I think the, the only way to really regain your credibility, first thing from there is just admit it's like, yeah, I made, I cheated, I made a mistake, I'm going to try and like, you know, better myself, do better. And Todd's response was just like, nope, nothing wrong here. I deny everything. And it's like... How, how did we get from there, from like, <laughs> OmniGamer is the tasting community trying to attack us, to, <laughs> to Twin yeah. Galaxies saying, we'd like to f- extend an, an appreciation of OmniGamer's hard work and crack in this case. Yeah, that was, that was just whatever they could do to try and deflect Flack. Because in the end, they know that it was, it was entirely Jace's call on whether or not to give or not. So for people who are ignorant of that, yeah. by the way, of the end, like me, because I saw the whole beginning part oh, that you yeah. just talked about, but I never saw the resolution. Oh. <laughs> so the, the condensed version of the resolution is it gets to the end of January, uh, like January 25th or something. Apollo Legend puts out this video about just Todd's other um, completely unbelievable scores. And that gets a lot of traction. All of a sudden, I have people calling me from like Washington Post and ESPN and stuff like that. <laughs> several of which thought I was Apollo Legend. Um, <laughs> and then, oh, no. um, like, they just got buried under a lot of negative sentiment, uh, and eventually they just gave in. They did it under the guise of, hey, we have finally received this extra information from one of our former refs, and that was the, the nail in the coffin, so to speak. That, and that, that, to me, is like the most annoying part. It's like, it's like this problem with a, like an old boy that we keep protecting. It's like, oh, well, another old boy is now go, like jumping in the ring to say it's not true, or it's, like it's suspicious. And that was like, they act like that was the, the tipping point beyond... Uh. What RTM had to say, too, was something that was generally known. And like it had been brought up in other threads, uh, the condensed version was just like in the past, refs had unfettered access to the database. And when they were also competitors, there was no telling what they were going to put in um, and whether or not like they self-verified or they put in anything else. And just some of the timelines of when they put in is what he matched up to be the claim against uh, Todd entering a lot of these scores. So TG made the, the decision. They removed dragster time they removed all of Todd's scores and, and banned him from participation. Oh no, you can't be on Twin Galaxies. Yeah, <laughs> not, not to mention that it had been on there for some eight months and Todd hadn't posted a single time in the Dragster Thed. He posted in Skiing. But yeah, drags I it. saw that. That was the Despite one. That was the one he wanted to keep, aware. though. Which yeah. was yeah, that's yeah. another like weird thing. It's like there was like six other games like being actively. Uh, uh, adjudicated or whatever, or not, like submission review, like when they question a score, mm-hmm. and like half of them where it's like, yeah, this is mathematically not possible, and all like the same people who during Draxter were like, no, it's like we support him. Like some of them would be like, well, oh yeah, it's like okay, in uh, the carrot or the rabbit game, wabbit or whatever, it's like mm-hmm. the score maxes out at thirteen hundred, can't get anything higher. Oh, there's all sorts of things wrong wrong with wabbit. Or uh, yeah, and that, the score must end in like a zero or a five, and he had like. 1798. 1698. 1698. Got he both went past the kill screen and got uh, a non 
five multiple. And I think like on the very first page, I think Rudy's like, all right, let's just round it down. <laughs> yep. One, six, nine, eight. Let's just say it's like an error in transposition. He only got the first digit right <laughs> of one. And then it's like, oh, instead of six, he hit three. Instead of nine, he hit he, zero, he hit nine. Instead of zero, he hit eight or some shit. Yeah. And it's like, there were people like, yes, this is this is what we should do. There's people agreeing with that, that that's reasonable. It's, it's just a different... Um, <laughs> Different culture over there. Different galaxy, yeah. if you will. Yeah. They, 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 it, seem, it seems like a lot of it's changing, but still, uh, it's not something that, that I really care to be a part of. Yeah. I was going to say, does it even matter if it changes? Like, let's be honest, Twin Galaxies has been irrelevant for literally since the moment I ever heard of them, they were irrelevant. If you're a speedrunner, like, Twin Galaxies does not matter for speedrunning, but it's like, for like generic like Guinness records or like random like news people, if they just like, Look for a video game record. That's one of the sites they're going to find. The long-standing association with Guinness is what uh, gets a lot of namesake for people. Yeah, it, it, it's influential for people who aren't like in on the hobby. And like people could watch King of Kong and they go, "Oh, Twin Galaxies," and it'll just look up Twin Galaxies after watching the movie. I, I actually like that movie because it's like they try to have Billy Mitchell as like a villain, <laughs> but they just make him look like a bad. Hey guys, there's a kill screen <laughs> coming so up. Cool. Hey guys, kill screen. Kill and then, like, yeah, like Billy Mitchell's score is also removed, and that's like another big thing. Like sitting back and just looking back, like, what's your retrospective over all the dragster bullshit? Uh, I'm glad I don't have to worry about it anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's fair. Like it was, it was a wild ride while it lasted, and it lasted way longer than it should have. You know, it's done with. Uh, at at some level, justice has been dealt. Has it affected like the history chapter of your book at all, Omni? Because like you said, you were looking at it to see what the the first speedrun is. Well, this isn't it isn't a speedrun, so it yeah, doesn't exactly. Really so, what's the second oldest speedrun? That particular thing, I still have it in the book. Uh, I only altered a few words, basically, ah. um, to keep the the context correct, because it's more of the the mythos that surrounds it. Like everybody knew that at at some level, like people use it as something to inspire them. So there's entire generations of gamers that like, oh yeah, I'm going to I'm going to be the next Todd Rogers um, and look back at his legendary scores and stuff like that. So it's still a significant story. It's just built on the House of Lies. So it's getting the right context. I want the test your dragster bias Link, I, I, I like oh, Jason's picture thing. I want, because I, like, people are all, all the memes was like the human element, but it's like, no, test your dragster bias. That's even better. I don't even know about that one. Yeah, he, had, he posted a picture in like December of like a picture of a 554 and it's like, oh, do you believe this is real or like performed on real hardware? It's like this, like your, your initial like reaction would like inform you of your, your bias. So it's like, test your dragster bias. And, and everyone was like, this, like, this means nothing yep. at all. I will say that one thing that I'm disappointed with as far as the resolution is that Todd himself is not fessed up to anything. And in fact, he, he doubled down on it with his post on Facebook and whatever else. Yeah. And I mean, if he still wants to be living in that dream, that, that's fine. But from the perspective of actually figuring out what happened some 35 years ago, he's the only one that actually knows. If he's going to hold on to the, the lies that he built up as part of that, like nobody else is going to know what actually happened back then. Like Nobody knows what he sent in to Activision to get them to list the 551. 
nobody knows like his interactions with Activision staff. Like a couple of the conversations that he's claimed to have with them don't match up to the timelines as well as what other people from that time have said. So nobody actually knows the story of way back then, except for him. And until he actually fesses up, nobody is going to know. Has anyone at some point talked to anyone that worked at Activision and asked? Shortly before Twin Galaxies made the release of the decision, there was like a... There was like a dragster dev. Yeah, one of like the devs was like, I believe in Todd. The actual programmer, <laughs> so the, the, had exactly yeah. one programmer, David Crane, they reached out to him again. And I say again because I reached out to him in June of 2017 uh, just to ask him questions and um, kind of probe him for ideas on what other things could happen. The content of those exchanges is basically the exact same thing that he gave to Kotaku when they ran an article about it in June, July, whenever that was. And again, repeated for what they told Twin Galaxies in January. So... He's sticking to the same script. Uh, there's no new information there that hasn't been there for six months uh, when they started quoting him in their front page posts or whatever it was. Yeah, my takeaway is like someone's reputation or fandom is not evidence of like any achievement they may or may not have done. So it's like if, if you were to like go question on like a like a hotter ruby who's like a old, old boy speedrunner, it's like if you were to go question his runs, that doesn't mean you're trying to like bring down a legend. You're just like trying to verify stuff is true is only a, is a good thing. It's healthy. It's not like, mm-hmm. it's not an antagon, antagonizing in and of itself. That's, that's part of science is you have to get um, kind of independent analysis yeah. of somebody who's not really a part of it, but uh, can understand everything that's going on and reproduce it, or at the very least, make sure that the conditions were right to reproduce it. I talk about this a lot in my book too, in terms of the need to have information archived, uh, recorded somewhere so that people can actually go in and find out how did you make the decisions that you used in your run? Like what was the the research that you used? What information glitches, et cetera, did you actually know? And how did you come to these conclusions? Like there's a lot of really important stuff there. And in the old days, you just put it on the forum because that's where everybody was. Yeah. And now we've got people in Discord groups, we've got people in um, just posting random stuff on Reddit that'll scroll off the first page in in a day or two and nobody will ever see it again. And it's just kind of this impermanence of information sharing. And not only that, it's a lot harder to get to it because you can't just go to SDA and look at, hey, look, I'm going to find the Contra 3 thread or, or whatever it is and just kind of look through that. And I mean, part of it is people are, are sharing ways in ways that are more convenient for them. Great. That, that's fine. Uh, it's just that from the perspective of anybody new coming down the line, they don't have the same things to look for. Or if they don't have the knowledge of your, your special Dark Souls Discord or, or know how to find it, like you're not going to get there. Or if someone ran a game eight years ago and they forget everything about it. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's something that I, I think people really need to remember and, and focus on, because there's going to be a lot of circumstances. Like I, I remember when Dram was doing Joe and Mac Two, he was trying to compete against one of Cipher's times. This is a time that Cipher did on an alternate streaming account that didn't have the highlights saved. Uh, that got lost to the ether 
And then this is years after the fact, and Dram's trying to ask him questions, and it's just like, hey, what did you do here? And it's just like, I have no idea anymore. I don't remember whatsoever. So there's this time that ostensibly is, is the world record for this game, and just missing knowledge. Like, there's not even a, vi a video to reference that. And that's not even trying to say that, oh, there's no video, uh, it can't be legit. It has nothing to do with whether or not somebody tried to cheat on that or anything. You don't have the knowledge that went into that anymore. And whether it can be improved or not, you either have to figure it out all anew, or you're just kind of stuck behind the times. Uh, I, I remember you had a thread on SDA for like, what is the future of SDA? And I really think it is like, it's the only site that's attempt to have like a general knowledge base because speedrun.com can have like some specific guides, which not many people utilize. It's mainly just a leaderboard site for the most part, which mm -hmm. like that, that still was an important function. And on that function alone, it could just, it could last like a long time. But for SDA, like even, you know, GDQ staff, if talking about GDQ stuff with like, uh, just generic stuff, they'll like, you know, Coleman would be on Reddit, not SDA forums. So it's like, it's not even its ties to GDQ has uh, has a little, barely any function, but it does have the knowledge base, and I won't be people use it. So, from my perspective, the the biggest things that have kept SDA from kind of maintaining its position uh, is simply that the people who are currently administering it they've more or less moved on in a lot of cases. So they they keep it up because they know that it's important to a lot of people but they don't have a vested interest in trying to push the site forward. And that's unfortunate, but I mean, they've, they've got their own lives to live too. But as part of its downswing, there are two roles that I think are significant that SDA serves. One is that keeper of knowledge. So whether it's on the forums or the knowledge base or whatever else, like having some place where you can go to keep a reference for your game, no matter how obscure it is or... or like the most run game ever, just having somewhere for that information is very valuable. And the second is something that I don't think a lot of people realize is a really valuable thing to have. And this is what I call the, uh, the mark of quality. When you go to speedrun.com, you can find a leaderboard for whatever games or anything else, and you look at the top time and you say, okay, that must be a good run because it is the fastest time. There's no actual connection between being first on a leaderboard and having a good time in a game. And what I mean by that is there's no way for you to say, hey, is that time well-researched? Did he put more than five attempts in it? Uh, is there a good route to go along with it? How, how long has, has this been uh, worked on? Anything like that. And the way that SDA had structured the submissions, especially post-2010 or so, if you submit a game to SDA... It's not just that it has to be a speed run and have just the video quality and, and all the rest of that um, stuff. It actually has to be good from just a plain viewer perspective. Like, you can't have a whole lot of mistakes. You can't do anything on that. It has to make it through so that people can actually sign off and say, hey, yeah, it looks like they actually put in a lot of effort in the speed run. Um, it seems worthy to go on the site. And that is something that... I guess just isn't a part of the common culture anymore. Like the the, wow. the runs that are all the way at the top, or if you have a lot of people to compete against, yeah, they're naturally going to get better and so on. But if you go and find a game that has exactly one person who's run it, you have no idea if that person did their five attempts or they spent like 
many months trying to polish off this game or anything like that. And long term, I think there's going to be some solutions for that, some ways to actually be able to tell. Right now, I, I don't see a solution to that space. Uh, and it's something that is missing now that SDA doesn't really have uh, that place um, in the community. I think one thing of real value we lost was anytime a game would get would, would we get published, the runner would often supply a write-up. If you read what I wrote, you would know how to do what I did. And I think that's really missing. Yeah, that, may, that, that definitely makes sense. I think it's interesting because for me, like my community in the speed running community is the Dark Souls community, mm-hmm. right? Like that's the community that I'm most attached to. I'm an admin for the Discord server and like all of that. We're really organized for that. It's a big community, you know. It's it's a really pretty large community for all the Souls games. So we've got a really great knowledge base. Everyone has made sure that you've got access to everything you need to know about doing any trick in any game at any time. The thing is, is that when I look around at the rest of the speedrunning communities, you know, you don't people don't organize themselves like that. And I wonder if it's because the communities themselves are so small that a lot of people don't communicate very much. And if they do communicate, they're communicating in ways that are just, you know, oh, hey, how did you do this thing? Or someone's going to someone's stream or someone's talking in a little Discord server that no one's ever going to see again, like you said. And I just wonder why, like, there's no... There's no consolidated place. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fiesel talked about this last episode, too, if you guys want to listen to that and hear his thoughts. He said, like, the f- there is... Communities, obviously, but they're all in their own discords. And actually, I think a mm-hmm. while back, Golden tried to make like a consolidated list of speedrunning discords that's out in the ether somewhere. I have no yeah. idea where you would find it. But that's it. There's no real... I don't know if maybe like speedrun.com has like an individual game might have their individual discord or whatever. Like none of my games have discords. I have... One Discord. I have the PlayStation Nation yeah. Discord. All of the games that are ran in there are mono runners, basically. They're too small to have their yeah. own community. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, like, I just pulled up the Speed Souls Discord, right? There are 1,866 members. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not a normal speedrunning Discord. Yeah, I don't think it has to do with, like, it's not necessarily, like, the size of the community. It's just that, like, the desire to speedrun is not necessarily identical as, like, the desire to, like, write about a speedrun. Yeah. Not everyone wants to write shit down. And, uh, yeah. like, just when a community gets larger, it's the better chance that someone who does like writing shit down will be in it. Right. I mean, when I first started getting into the Souls community, like, it, the Speed Souls didn't exist. We didn't have Discord. Like, none of the shit existed at all. For the next show, I think I want to get a, a list of every game that does have its own, like, wiki of all the tricks mm-hmm. or shit like that. Because I know Donkey Kong Country 2... Or just the Donkey Kong games in general do. Like Donkey Donkey Kong speedruns or whatever. Dark Souls. F-Zero kind of like, like has a handful Zelda. of tutorial stuff. Zelda games uh, do. Grand Theft Auto series yeah. has tutorial stuff. Yeah, a list of like every game or the individual game or a series that has like, you know, just like an information base. Right. I think that'd be a cool list. Just we need an information base of information yeah. bases. Yeah. Use the knowledge well, base, the motherfuckers. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you. You know, when when this whole thing started, I mean, you know, Speed Souls, when it started, it was just someone was like, hey, like, why don't we make a leaderboard website since we're just... Because this was before speedrun.com even. 
why don't we make a leaderboard website and we can have, you know, pages where you guys can write up stuff. So they made a wiki. I just feel like speedrun.com has the ability to support all of that. It has a guide section. It has a forum section, like, where you can talk and stuff. Like, it can support all of this stuff. Just no one uses it for that for some reason. And I haven't really been able to figure out why no one uses it for that. People use it for leaderboards as a leaderboard database. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. it. It's the point of convenience. It's the same reason that people just don't rely on forums anymore either. Just because you, you can use it there... Or you can also do it in this app that you all can also have on your phone, and it gets yeah. pinged every time there's a new response, and you can just yeah. show with your buddies for for direct communication. And it's just it gets treated for um, information sharing more than anything, too. I know what really drives the existence personally of, of Speed Souls and the wikis and the tutorials and everything. It's people got tired of answering the same questions over and over again. <laughs> it's a popular enough series, that, and I, I, I think that, yeah. that's the differentiator. It's a popular enough series that people got tired of just having to answer the same question, oh, how did you do this skip, or how did you do this glitch? Like, people didn't want to have to tell people how to move swap in Dark Souls 1, because it is the most used thing in that game, and, like, it's just annoying to explain it every five seconds. That's why it exists, in my opinion, <laughs> is because the community started to grow, and the people who were already there were like, well... I don't want to have to do this every five seconds. Addendum. Don't just use knowledge face. Bitch at speedrunners. <laughs> ask, ask them stupid questions. Yep. Yep. And uh, I mean, I guess that is true because it's like with F, like F-Zero or any game I run, it's like a new viewer every like three days. It's like, oh, how'd you do that? And I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll talk about whatever. Right. But if, if, if it's like someone asking every five seconds about some basic stuff, then it's like, I'll just make something just and link it in chat. You know, it's right. That makes sense. It does. And and I mean, you know, you've got I think the the original Skype group we had was like forty people. We're at eighteen hundred Discord members at this point, right? Like that's that's what I think makes a big difference. Having to actually have the desire for one reason or another, you know, like some people are motivated to do it because they like it. In, in this instance, I think a lot of the motivation came down to annoyance. Seriously. So, I've, I've talked about this before on another show. This was after I made a poll asking about what the problems in, in speed running were. And it was, kind oh, of, yeah. it was completely wide open. Just like, well, what do you think the problems? And what do you think the, is the biggest problem? Um, and there was, there was some uh, active discussion on that for a while. One of the main points that came out from that was simply this view of leadership and whether people thought that they needed leadership or not. And uh, one of the main points that I wanted to make out of that is simply that leadership is not just you, you, you are king speedrun. Uh, you <laughs> declare how everything is going to be run and, and falls out. Mm-hmm. Um, leadership goes to a lot more to that. It's you are active enough that you, say, delegate to people as far as, hey, you've got good uh, Discord, I'm going to use you as our primary server for discussing this game, and I'm going to promote it out here, supporting new members, basically making sure that the resources are there where they need, and that you have the the appropriate outreach. Like, all of those are leadership duties, too. And, uh, I mean, I guess in this case, um, the leader is also the one who broke first in terms of annoyance and started to actually put things out there. Yeah. But... Leadership, I think, is, is something that's really important that a lot of people don't see as that. Mm-hmm. And 
um, until you have somebody who's kind of driving the ship as far as, hey, um, if we want our game to get noticed, if we want to support new people coming into it, we really got to put something out there for that. And I think people are starting to realize that. Um, they're starting to come into it, yeah. A lot of runners are, are just kind of like lazy as shit. Like, where it's like, because like NASA like, could be an example. Like a lot of people, it's like, like I, I, don't, I don't want. I want to go to an event, but it's like GDQs. It's like there's a, there's over a thousand people. It's crowded. There's like whatever reason they have, they want to go to a different one, but no one wanted to make it. So I'll just like shit. I'll just book a hotel, see who shows up, <laughs> and then people yeah. are like, "All right, good." Like once it once the ball rolls, everyone will start pushing it with you, but no one wants to like <laughs> you know mm-hmm. build it in the first place. The, the first step's always the hardest. <laughs> And it's not even necessarily hard. It's just like... Yeah. You made that post and all of a sudden you had staff. It, it really is just someone has to take the initiative. You don't even need to do that much work or that much like mental stress. Yeah. It's just just get a ball rolling well, and people... You don't, Naglaria. Oh, yeah. Because it's like, I guess in my case, I, I, I just want to go to an S as an attendee. I, don't really get, I, don't yeah. know, I just want to hang out with people. So I don't really, Which is fair. You're the uh, yeah. you're our shining example of uh, <laughs> what speedrunning truly truly means. Oh Nuclearia. yeah, that's. <laughs> but um, with with the knowledge based stuff in general, I, I don't know if speedrun or SDA knowledge base is going to be the answer. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to be SDAs, but there needs to, like I really want information and access to information. And, I would say and, that it's more that as, that the SDA knowledge base exists right now. It already exists. Yeah, that's, yeah. so does speedrun.com's individual guides on the leaderboards. Yeah, but uh, those that's not like a centra- that's not like centralized and, it, and it's, I, it's also purely game specific. It doesn't have information that's like more... Uh, how to be, stream, how to record, yeah. how to, how to, how to yeah. do this, how to do right. that. It, it's the only thing that does it. For a lot of the stuff it has, it, it, it's, it, it might be outdated, but it's still like, it does it well. So do you think that if someone were to go out today and make a speed running, a generalized speed running wiki that you can have pages for individual games with like, you know, your full guides? Well, there is a speed run wiki, but that's like there's, there's, only go to that to there's a couple, yeah. actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it, it, basically, people only go there to read about Cowan Hames. Yeah, I was going to say, right. you only go there for Cowan <laughs> Hames. Right. <laughs> so it's like I, like, I guess there's also dangers in making new shit. But, um, so the, but what I'm getting is if, if someone went out today and did something like, like literally made a, spe- a Speed Souls quality website, you know, that was easy to navigate and you could figure out everything you need to figure out, but it was for everything you had information about console mods, information about streaming, information about individual games. Do you think that the communities would put the effort in to actually fill in that wiki? I think it depends it depends on who makes the wiki cuz yeah. I think I think King Speedrun needs to make the wiki. <laughs> right. If King Speedrun makes it, I'll use it. I don't think it's based on communities, it's based on uh, for for a site like that, it's going to be based on people that just like to write shit down. People that like to write about speedrunnings and that's not necessarily the same as people who like to speedrun. So you need to find the people who are motivated to like, they just like writing about their speedruns. So the first step would be getting all the current tutorials or whatever people have made up there and then encourage right. others to do the same. So, like basically it's, yeah, if a site like that was made, I'd support it. But currently like we already have one. That's the knowledge base. It's not really used much. If someone makes a new one, sure, I'll support it. I'll, I'll fucking force that as well. I'll, I'll get people. There. Like I said, if if you search the word speedrun, last episode, if you search the word speedrun, SDA is far from the first thing that comes up. It's like the twentieth. Is is Speed Souls before it? I think no, that... it isn't. But um, the uh, 
my my favorite my favorite one was that the TV tropes page for speedrunning came up before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's actually pretty. Great. IMDb has a uh, like someone made a like put HDQ like twenty fourteen on it and added all the, like their yeah the, yeah I'm on I, I've I have a couple of IMDb and, uh, it's, credits it's like, now <laughs> so it's like <laughs> in addition to my actual credits but you know. I don't understand who yeah. went through the work to do that but the people who are motivated to do weird shit like that those are the ones you want when you're making a, an information database the people will get any information and write about it. But I mean, in general, I feel like it, it, it's not an issue of availability of like places to actually do this. Speedrunner.com has the info, the knowledge base exists, there's wikis that exist. It, it's, it's a lack of motivation on the, on the side of these individual communities. I'm not about to make a fucking wiki for Bernstein Bears. Like, I don't give a fuck about that game. I guess if we were to use your idea about it, it's like being annoying. So you could just literally make a bot. <laughs> That like re asks question people in chat of like how does this trick be done? What is world record? Right. How is how do you like you know screen wrap in this game? Not just forcing the knowledge base, but just keep asking the same questions until they right. until they just write it down. I guess that could be another motivator. Well, yeah, because I, I I do remember that there was a you know before we had the wiki, it was all paste bins. Like all our routes oh, were paste bins. <laughs> And so you would you would have like three or four people would get together and figure out the the the, the most optimal route, right? And then they would post a paste bin, and everyone would look at it and test it out and make sure it was good, and then everyone would run it. And that was the process before we had the wiki. I'm kind of more curious to know how many paste bins are floating around <laughs> for games. The, the Let's take the Chase Hall approach. We'll just manually load up every single pace bin. And it's like, oh, is this about speedrunning? No, all right, let's go to the next. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, I'm sure that there's an absurd amount of actual knowledge that was already written down by someone that just, like, has disappeared. But that's another reason why the wiki came up is because we had all these pace bins floating around and we wanted to try and keep track of it. I, I'll say that it's the, the pace bin dilemma is still another indication, at least to me, of the same thing, which is people do things for convenience. Put it in a paste bin because you don't have to format anything. You literally mm-hmm. just directly copy from Notepad or whatever the heck you use to write it and done. Okay, share. And you don't have to worry <laughs> about trying to get up a, a wiki page looking clean. You don't have to do anything else, which would be great. But again, just, just how it goes. I guess, yeah, I guess in theory you could also, for the knowledge base, just add every, every pace bin about a game. I mean, it's a, it's a start. Every, start the ball rolling. It's true. I mean, I, I definitely think this is an issue that doesn't have any kind of legitimate answer because, you know, all of us are from different communities when it comes to speedrunning, and there's no way that, like... I mean, I guess you could really say you have to actually talk to the people in your community. Like, if you're watching the podcast or you're part of the podcast, like, and you think that this is something that's important for speedrunning knowledge in general, like, talk to the people that are in your community and be like, hey, guys, you should use the SDA knowledge base or you should use this or or someone should make something that everyone can use that's easier to use than those things. Or I guess even more specifically, for games that don't really have a community, for what it is just one runner, just ask them to write shit down. Yeah. Right, exactly. Like, just be like, hey, can you just, like, write up mm-hmm. a quick, like, rundown of how you do your run so that we can, you know. 
there's just too many games. There's too many speedruns. It's like true. if we if look fuck you, caveman. That is well, such see, a defeatist attitude. Like you can't just make a, a, a wiki for every single game. Not, I'm not saying you should. I'm saying the runners should make like not like write down the shit that they do know. I'm not asking them to go. I'm not even asking them to go like research a new speedrun. I'm just saying the stuff you do know. Write that shit down. Yeah. But then we get right back to the they write it down in a paste bin and it disappears because you have to have the centralized like database. What if there was a website, right? Follow, follow me on this one. <laughs> and it had forums. And, and within oh, okay. the forums, you could have a thread for each game. And let's ignore the fact that you have to determine if it's in casual games or new games or old games or PC games or the Quake-specific thread. Let's just ignore that that doesn't happen. Ooh, Quake. What if that existed? What would happen then? Well, um, no one would use it because no one uses forums. People would need to force it really hard, like yeah. I do. I mean, I can't remember the last time I posted on an actual forum, like genuinely. Oh shit! There we go then. Like so, like I don't, like I don't post on forums. I post in Discord, on Twitter, and I occasionally, and by occasionally, I mean literally, never edit things on the wiki. I literally don't Dark even Fox. touch our wiki because. How does it feel what? to be part of the problem? <laughs> yeah, you're the reason why. Like, damn. But the thing is, is that forums are a dying thing in general. Like, people don't really use forums anymore. Like, I don't. Well, the knowledge base, specifically, the knowledge base is not a forum, okay? Yeah. That's SD true. Has a forum the that's knowledge base isn't a forum, but Caveman was bringing up the idea of if this forum, you know, SDA existed. Yeah, I think that's a pretty reasonable solution to the fact that there's a million speedruns. Motherfucker, you know he was talking about the knowledge base. <laughs> you say it's a reasonable solution, but like, people are stupid and stubborn. Everyone loves Discord. You're not going to get people to have those conversations in a less convenient medium. I'll get them to do it. As King Speedrun, I'll get them to do it. I'm not saying the problem is that there's a, a, a like, not a, 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 the right site hasn't been made yet. Yeah. The problem is like, we're, like speedrunners are lazy as shit and right. don't write shit down. That, and we need to, you, you, only you can can solve this by asking people to write shit down. I, I have an yeah. entire chapter in my book called Documenteering. I don't know. I always like to compare speedrunning to fighting games. And I just, I have to accept that SDA is not sure you can.com. It never was and it never will no. be. It's just, it, it isn't. No. It's, it's, func- it's functionally a dead site with no one working on it. I would be really interested to see what the back-end numbers look like for sure you can even. That's kind of dying, too, because every... Well, see, every... Yeah, I guess that's Discord. So every game has a Discord now, too, but that's immediately they move to every game has its own forum, even though there was a wiki, a knowledge base, if you will, on <laughs> yeah. sureyoucan.com for every game. Right. Mimic just, just reminded me, though, fucking speedrun breakdown. We need to get triacs. Yeah. And that's the thing. I feel like we're going backwards. Like, people made yeah. these knowledge bases and things like that, and the, the communities are splintering further because of Discord. Like, because Discord is so much more convenient, it's on your phone, like OmniGamer said. I think that's just, like, a, a matter of, like, the size of the communities. As more and more people come in, it'll just get more specialized. It'll get, like, the, the focus... We'll get smaller. Well, you need you need to compartmentalize it in like there's there. This is the PlayStation mm-hmm. Discord, but it's not the Resident right. Evil Discord. That's a different Discord kind of thing. There's too many games. There's too many runners, as clearly shown by the fact <laughs> that SGDQ registration was completely filled up within 15 minutes of it opening. Well, there's there's yeah. another 1250 slots, so in a week. 
it's going to open up at 10 a.m. Eastern time, uh, like next week sometime. I don't, I don't remember the exact date. And that's when the rest right. of the slots will be available. The issue with that is like the, the jump from a hotel to a proper convention is a big one. And they probably could get enough people to like afford that. But it's like they're, they're used to this. They got a good thing going. It's a big. This is like a problem, though. There's not 1,024 runners signing up. One of the things that I could bring up with that is that, like, it's not like you have to go to a full-blown convention center. It's not like you have to be, like, in an actual, like... You don't need a full-blown convention center for something like that. You know, MAGFest still happens at the Gaylord. And they've, <laughs> they've grown insanely. Well, whether or like, not they should still be at the Gaylord is another that's question. That's true. <laughs> that's, a, that's a different question. But their numbers of attendees are so much more drastically higher than... AGDQ, AGDQ, why aren't they looking at someplace like that? Not to not to say that they aren't. For all I know, AGDQ could very well be looking at a place like that, and they probably should be. But you've got a hotel with a massive amount of space in it, with a crap ton of hotels around it. I think they're they're just they're just trying to get their toes wet. Like this SGDQ, in all likelihood, is going to be the highest attended games on Quick of all time. I guess with NAS specifically, it's like I'm not making money from this. If an event goes to shit, it's like all right. That's just one shitty week, but it's like if there's if it's literally their livelihood, yeah. they have a little more to worry about. And 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 it does have the charity aspect. The more people who are there, the more things can go wrong. I don't know because I'm not them. Without saying too much, like the the GDQ staff is very much aware of our size. Like that is one of the things that we do actively discuss, and we mm-hmm. try and figure out like what we want to do and what we can support and all the rest of that stuff. There are a lot of other issues kind of with the the size that we are that isn't also like five times our size that goes with just simply how hotels work hotels generally have ballrooms that are pretty comparable one hotel will be approximately the same size as the other one um and that's that's mainly what we've been trying to work with the problem is that those ballrooms and so on typically rated for events in the up to a thousand people when you start getting up to 2,000, you limit a lot of things. And when you get above that mark, there's just nothing that can support that without all of a sudden being a full-blown convention center or a convention hotel. And we all know how SGDQ 14 went. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, yeah. there are concerns with trying to grow faster than we can reasonably support. And that's from a staff side as well. That's definitely completely reasonable. We definitely run into that even at our scale, you know, mm-hmm. where, you know, we talk about having panel. We're, you know, we've had talks about having panels, having tournaments, having all kinds of stuff, right? And it always comes back to, is this going to stretch us too far? Are we going to have the resources with, with no budget? Because we really don't have a budget. And, and I mean, like, that's, that's, it's definitely completely understandable to not want to scale too fast because I think that's definitely mm-hmm. a smart choice. GDQ is on the line where you could go to a place like the Gaylord and you could probably not overdo it. But is that really going to accomplish anything for you? Is really, I think, the main question for GDQ. One thing that I was thinking about with that, with the growth, right? Is it really doing anything for the purpose of the event to grow into a full-blown convention because you're a charity event. You know, you, you, your goal is to raise money. Given that context, though, whenever I, I talk about GDQs, I'm only just like, oh, here's like a dumb picture someone tweeted and I'll just make like shitty jokes about that because it's like, in, in regards to like any change that 
like a should or shouldn't happen. It's like that's GDQ staff's choice. <laughs> like what I could have ideas for like like things that I think would be better. It's like an event that I would want, but it's like it's theirs. As as far as change that should or shouldn't happen, I don't really. That's up to them. I don't really give a shit. As someone that's actually, you know, what's interesting, as someone who's known you since, like, before we did NASA, right, you used to be very critical of GDQ, and I don't really see you shitposting about them that much anymore. I still am. It's just it's just gotten, like, it was more for just, like, a joke. Right. Because I would point out stuff that absolutely is not a problem and pretend yeah. it was. Well, right, obviously. <laughs> but you did so definitely <laughs> point out things that were issues. And yeah, I, and I but, mean, but, like, usually only, like, pedantic shit, like yeah. if a game was stretched two pixels, <laughs> and I would just, right. like, shit post Because most of that's, like, not even really critique. It's just yeah. a dumb joke. I, I guess my, my question is, as time has gone on and you've, you know, we've done all of this with NASA, have, have you found yourself being, like, more willing to be understanding of the decisions that are made, you know, from an outside perspective of of other marathons like GDQ. I've never like uh, I've understood it's like they have they could have problems like you don't know about, right? So whatever like solutions they may or not be doing, it's like that's this is their choice. I can still make shitty jokes, but it's like uh, that doesn't mean I'm not belittling whatever problems they do or don't have. So Omni Gamer. Have you watched any NASA? <laughs> I'm curious, well, because I'm talking about like his viewpoint of GDQ and what they do. So I'm curious to hear someone who's more involved in GDQ than anyone else that we have on the podcast, really. What do you think of like as an outsider, but as someone who works on another marathon? First, I will say I have not really seen much NASA. And it's not it's not because I particularly try to avoid you guys or anything. I'm just not all that tuned in in the marathon scene outside of GDQ stuff. I barely have the <laughs> the time and motivation to work on the games that I have. And uh, uh, so I, I don't really have anything that I, I can say specifically for NASA. For the most part, though, I would say that it is difficult to, to coordinate some of these things because of different timescales. Um, for example, how how much ahead of time, do you try to plan your, your events? Well, the hotel, we uh, we would want to get that signed at least like seven months-ish okay. ahead. Um, yeah. At least. So I think, at least. I think we are on something like almost two years ahead. Right, yeah. Um, and there's, there's a lot of different decision-making that comes in with that. In, in terms of like planning out uh, some of the other promotional things and trying to figure out what dates we're going to have for, for example, when registration opens up and things like that. That, I, I want to say we actually had meetings to discuss that probably within a month after the previous event just to try and get things started. From my experience doing that kind of stuff, it's just constantly staying on top of preparing for the next event. And beyond that, like, I, I think that's my fill for doing marathon, marathon yeah. stuff. So I hear about marathons that go on every so often. I support them in that just anything getting more eyes on speedrunning, more celebration of the hobby is, is all good stuff. Um, right. But lately, I've not found the, the time to go out and watch too many of them, is what I'll say. I guess that could be another thing is a, an information database for people that have made marathons of like, here's the things you should do, some problems, like things you should absolutely avoid if yeah. you're working at a hotel. Yeah, very that could, much I so. mean, that's 
it's it's much less sought after information, but it's still useful nonetheless. Like I could say, if there ain't food within like a thirty minute drive, do not go there, please. <laughs> please. Yeah. DDQ has a lot of things to think about for, but for like NASA, it's like the very first thing I look for in a city is like twenty four hour Tim Hortons, twenty four hour <laughs> Denny's, yeah. and it's like. Because, uh, yeah, on the year, you're at uh, SU 2013, uh, the Sheraton Denver Tech Center. The IHOP that decided it was going to be not 24 hours anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they closed down for like four hours for like maintenance <laughs> right at, right when the marathon ended, which was hilarious. Yeah. And uh, But it's like, yeah, like if a place has a 24-7 IHOP or some shit beside it, it's like, that, that's good. Yeah, that is really good because when you're doing a 24-hour event, it's like at 3 a.m. someone could finish a run and be like, "All right, I want to eat something." Right. And if if you have that option, it's like that's 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 awesome. I mean, I think that we generally we start looking for the next for our next event space maybe like two weeks after the event ends. I'm, I'm always down to like whatever how many years in advance. If like if a place is a good location, it's like all right, I'll bookmark it. Yeah, like this year's hotel. This year's hotel, in theory, on paper, sounds amazing. There's a bowling alley in it. There's there's all kinds of food and stuff to do. But it's just like ESA's old venue where you have to travel like an hour from the airport by like bus. Oh, dude, ESA, I took uh, three planes, two trains, and a bus. <laughs> Jesus. And it's like... It's literally bumfuck nowhere. Yeah. Uh, the one in Halvde, uh, uh, it was like SK... O V D E and the O had a umlaut, and it was like like Havda. <laughs> it's like the I I don't understand. Vecco was even worse. Of V A umlaut X J O with an umlaut, and that's Vecqua, not Vac Vec Vecio. It's yeah, Vecio. It's it's no, it's it's like Vecwa, and all the Swedes were like yeah, like any other Swedish words will be like mostly phonetic, but like some really old towns. It's just not going to make any sense because it's going to be like phonetic Swedish from like five centuries ago. And it just does not, there's no correlation. And yeah. it's like, that was probably my biggest issue with the venue, though, is the, the name of the city. So, right. I mean, that's a good, <laughs> that is good praise, I guess. But we're going to have to see, you know, like if this if this place works great, then great. We found a place that we could reliably be at potentially. But the thing is, is that like... I don't know if I want to get, I would want to get locked in like that. Like, have you guys run into any issues with being locked in that you know of, I guess? We, we try and plan out at the time of, like, when we actually need to book, like, what our expected size would be. And we still try and make sure that amenities are going to be all set and all the rest of that stuff. So it's always a consideration. Whatever happens uh, by the time that actually comes down, like... In the past, I know that some of the places that we've been considered considering were like, oh, yeah, it'll be fine by the time you have your event. But note that three months before that, we're under construction. And it's just like, oh, oh, no. Hold on a moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in those kinds of situations where you, you really don't have insight into what the space is going to be like or, heaven forbid, the construction runs long, there's, yeah. there's just some things that, you need to either take the gamble on or just say no thanks. And we try and do a lot of checking up on those kinds of things. Yeah, I remember 2015, uh, HTQ Hotel was under construction. Only one elevator was in service, and then that elevator fucking broke on the fourth floor, and everyone had these stairs. Goddamn, people doing the yeah. stupid elevator elevator races, <laughs> and then the escalators broke. I loved HTQ 2015. It was great. Yeah, HTQ 2015. 
It, yeah, it, it was the last GDQ I went to. It was fun aside from, like, they learned afterwards, it's like, food trucks, let's get food there because yeah. there's fucking nothing there. And that, 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 the food issue at AGDQ 15 sucked. But other than that, it was fun. I like I liked SGDQ uh, 2017 where it was half SGDQ and half high school girls volleyball tournament. That was a pretty good one. That was an um, amazing hotel. Oh my god! I, I, I guess yeah. I guess I I, I kind of want to just plan a NASA that's also at like a giant furry convention or something. Put NASA Anime North. Isn't that already every speedrunning marathon? SGDQ 2014. Like in the room beside it, there was like the. Some kind of pyramid oh, yeah, scheme pyramid thing scheme. going on, but I think there was also a, there was one day where there was like a bondage. Oh yeah, chocolate mangasm. Yeah, chocolate never mangasm. forget. Yeah, that's it. Chocolate mangasm. I kind of wish I, kids. I went to that. That was that was the rom com that was there yeah. before us, uh, and then there was a boxing match that was next door at some point. A legit boxing <laughs> oh, match with a ring and everything. I didn't know about that one. Yeah, that was uh, I think right before they had the bounce night. Um, <laughs> Uh, and then various, many, many people in suits waiting outside the hallway to learn about their pyramid scheme thing. This was <laughs> this was the second of them. Um, a different one was there before. So for, 2014 <laughs> was all kinds of amazing for the wrong reasons. I'm glad it was my first GDQ. Let me just put it that way. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's like there is a certain appeal to having just like every day there's some weird random shit going on. If I imagine it's like if you're going to use a hotel like that. Ideally, it would be only if you have enough people to rent every fucking room the whole time. Yeah. Because that way you don't have to deal with that weird shit. Do we want to talk about SRL Season 2? We have to. That's huge news, I think. Yeah. Like oh five years in the making. How can we not talk about that? Let's actually get on topic. Yeah, there's like, I imagine there's people who are like, they they join speedrunning and they're considered old boys and they're like what the fuck is SRL season exactly there's pe- there's people who've joined recently who don't know forget seasons they don't know what SRL is I know what SRL is and I I sort of know what SRL seasons are but I think I need a, a, an explanation all right I can I can do I can do this many moons ago back in the day you have to cl- crawl through the ether to get to SRL season one this was a proposed idea I forget by who that these these would be regular things and you'd get like badges and stuff or how well you do and there'd be x amount of games i remember um smb1 warpless was one of them it'd be like a bunch of popular games and there would be regular races and they would all be the results would always be tracked by a race bot i don't know if they were like scheduled races or if it was just a bulk do all the races and whoever does the most races and wins wins and then that happened and i don't know i wouldn't say it was a big success but i think people liked it I participated and it was cool. Yeah. It, it was a reason, a reason to race. It's so weird because after season <laughs> one ends, they announced season two. Season two is happening. Get ready. And they even they even teased games. I remember learning some. I remember I learned Richter Allbosses for season two, and then it never <laughs> happened. Do you regret that decision? <laughs> no, it was fun. It's a PS One game, dude. But uh, yeah, seasons two is happening. Who's even? I who who's organizing this? I have no idea who even runs SRL. I don't even know yeah. who runs SRL. Yeah, and I don't is it Giano? Is he back from the dead? Like, <laughs> I did see him streaming last month. Was that was that the the precursor to seasons two? Was a random Giano stream? <laughs> he was he was playing the uh, the annual Adventure Island. Fuck Adventure Island season two. Yep. They haven't they go. haven't released the games yet. Yeah. Let me actually look because I know they're doing like this this incremental week by week. 
kind of this is the game. It's almost very similar to SGL where you'd have like a, a week to learn. Now the thing with SRL season two though, like are they still using IRC? Like do people still want to go? I no, they yeah. they have a Discord. Th- they've made a Discord server, and I, I'm pretty sure they're like functionality. I think it'll work. Like I am sad that the joke of of seasons is is no longer going to be a thing of when seasons two. <laughs> yeah, we can't say seasons when now. Because I remember I, I was like I think it was like a HQ 2017 or someone like uh, during an interview someone asked Blecky it's like. When, when's my badge? <laughs> and he's like, I am the interviewer. Oh my gosh. Not the interviewee. Oh, <laughs> he's no. just, like, just like total deflection. And it's, it's like, now that, that joke, it, it's, it's, it's dead. Although maybe there'll be even a longer hiatus between two and three. Who knows? Hopefully not. I mean, it's, it's fun. So yeah. Is anyone going to participate? I might. Who knows? I've, See that's the that's the thing. Yeah. There's one thing. There's something. Yeah. I don't think there's going to be any PS1 games. I think it's all going to be PC games. Yeah, I'm. I have barely no like. You for the most part, I have very little interest in like like picking up a game to run a thing. It says it says right here that no games will require analog inputs. So what the heck? This mm-hmm. is mystery tournament all over again. Where's the goddamn PS1 games? This is a crime. Is what I'm trying to say. I I I think that the problem that I see here is that uh, I just don't want to play any video games. So why would I want to do this? <laughs> I mean, if one of the games for seasons was level and alt and wow, I'd be set, but I don't think it will be. <laughs> <laughs> level 1 to 100, new account, no bonuses. I did that this week, man. <laughs> the thing is, I'm looking at season one, right? And like, I don't see really any games that I have a ton of interest in. Yeah, but you got to you have to imagine that that back in 2013, these were the speed runs. And even if you don't want to run, it still is fun to watch. Give Just, Up Robot was the speed well, run. Well, that that was one of the hey, yeah. that was that was a, that was a shit. <laughs> like like for a flash game, it's a pretty good speed run. It is credit where right. it's due. Anyone could do it. Because most Flash games are like hot garbage, but that one, it's all right. How about this? Here's a hot topic. What games do you guys think would be good games for seasons? For like a one-week race that every, all, all the kids could, could play? I mean, Super Meat Boy. I don't know, I fuck, ha, fucking have a week to learn the Super Meat Boy. I don't know about that. <laughs> I have zero desire to play that game. You're essentially asking, it's like, what are like, what are like the popular games that you can play on PC? Yes, Nigleria. That's what I'm asking. <laughs> I'm gonna just gonna say F Zero GX because fuck everybody that doesn't play F Zero GX. I just don't see myself wanting to play any games like that are that old. To be honest, too few bits for you. I mean, I like old games, but I don't want to speed run them. Really, like I want to speed run PS One and up. You consider PS One not to be old? Like what? What? I know. I consider PS One to be like more modern control style. Like, and I don't like old controllers. Generally speaking, you need analog controls, which which this explicitly says there will be no analog controls. You can play F Zero GX with a D pad and not using the analog stick, so that's perfectly acceptable. If, if Portal was on here, that would be something I would be interested in doing. Portal was season one. I'm surprised it's not on season one, like on the list. I yeah, I don't see it. But like, if Portal was on there, right? Like that would be a game I would definitely be interested in, like playing, like for a week. If I donated a week of time to it, like that'd be fine. A fucking race of Oregon Trail would be so awful. Everybody would die. <laughs> that, that's yeah. That's like 
as, as far as like random games go, like that's speedrun the Sims kill the family. Like a hundred a hundred people start, and it's like one guy finishes his first like attempt without dying. <laughs> That'd be fucking awful for me. Yeah, this is this format is very similar to what SGL used to be back in the day. So I guess you have a week to learn the game, and then there's the race. And then the top 16, like that race is not the race. That's a qualifying race. And you then get put into a 16-person bracket to figure out how you win. What do you guys feel about like a tournament-style bracket to determine speedrunning? Do you think it works? Because that's how, people have been discussing that a lot, especially our last episode where we discussed that implicitly. Yeah, I think like the the format Feasley uses, I think, is like they, they kind of like have dealt with this like problem what is the mm-hmm. best thing? And it's like what they have kind of seems to work for them. Yeah, why the hell could they announce this when Feasel was on the show? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I imagine like, yeah, do what do what Feasel does with speedrun tournaments. Right. Otherwise, it would probably just be like a... Depending on, yeah, like the, the number of runners and the length of the category they're playing, it would, it would change entirely. Because it could be like if it's like 40 minutes or like two hours, it's going to... That's going to change, like, logistically what you can do. How many people uh, did get into SGQ, actually? I'm, I'm just <laughs> not re- relevant to what we're talking about here, but it's like, what was the uh, phase one? Phase one, one was 1,000, and there's currently 1,024 people who got in. <laughs> yeah. And that was, like, 15 minutes? <laughs> yeah, 15 minutes. So I imagine, like, yeah, so it's like, if, if you get a run-in or something, you're they'll, like, just chew you in, basically, but it's like... If someone who's just like, yeah, they're just a fan of speedrunning and they just want to, you know, hang out with friends or something, even just a friend of a speedrunner, it's like, yeah, if you were working or if you were just like doing something for 15 minutes, it's like, yeah, fuck you. (laughs) It's weird. I would be really interested to know how many of that 1,024 people are, whether or not they have a run-in, are speedrunners. I've seen people like they could, I, I don't know if you're like a disinterested which is like even if it's like every single one it's like none of them's ever done a speed run in their life they're just fans it's like you know if they want to attend go for it i don't want i don't want gdq to be like speed con or anything but i don't i don't think we should exclude it right that being said i do think it would be interesting to know but it's like that that kind of like getting getting that kind of demographic information takes work and they've already yeah, have work to do so i don't think they're gonna bother <laughs> Uh, getting statistics yeah, for people knows? just for right. like stat nerds. I would just be very interested to be. know. Like it, it, it would really be interesting to know. Yeah, because like I want to know how many speedrunners treat GDQ as their convention for the year, right? Like or whatever, because that's that's just an interesting stat to me. Well, I, I guess yeah, the people who aren't speedrunners that go to it as fans, I guess it, for them it is a convention. I, I guess Yo, yeah. PAX is my convention, and I never want GDQ right. to turn into PAX. <laughs> yeah, I don't think GDQ ever would, though. I just uh, you know PAX is like it's such a broad category. So it's like yeah, I'd be interesting to see like where GDQs do take because it's like yeah, it's like they understand that size is an issue and like what they do about it. There's a lot of things they could do. Um, I'd be curious to see what happens. I could see GDQ growing to like Magfest size, but like not bigger than that. Like I don't think I, even current Magfest size might be a little, uh, little ambitious. Like it, it speedrunning's more niche than than PAX or Magfest. You know, I, I don't think you're gonna see enough people. We had three topics here of SRL season two, 
SRL season two, SU re- registration between that drama, and I have no we idea. Drama. Drama. That's referring to. Dragster. <laughs> Sure. Dragster, I yeah. think the only the only fresh the only truly fresh drama is is the uh, bubbles ban, but I don't know if we want to talk about that. I, I I've actually I've actually thought about this once, and I would like to say something. So whenever anyone gets banned, you never hear games done quick say we have chosen to ban this person for X Y and Z reason. I mean they shouldn't have to, but we I'm saying we only get the person who was banned saying. This is what I think. And I feel like it inevitably yeah. paints GDQ in negative light. It is a negative light, but it's a very tiny light. And even for like people that like, because Bubbles is a cool dude. And I think it's like, yeah, they could have, they might have like overreacted, but it's like, I don't, I don't think, I honestly, I don't think they did. Some people get mad. It's like, oh, banning. It's like, they see it. It's like, oh, this is be a public event. Everyone should like deserve to go where it's like, I, I think it's like, yeah, if they just want to ban someone because they don't like the look of their face, it's like, all right, they can do that. This is their event. Mm-hmm. It's like, ban who you want, so I don't really give a shit. I read a little bit about it, and I absolutely believe that, like, it makes perfect sense that he's banned. Like, I, I just don't even, like, the whole situation to me makes perfect sense. But the thing is, is that, like, from my perspective of the whole situation, I don't even care if they list the reasons. I just would like to know that people got banned in general, like, so that you don't just have some rando come out and be like, GDQ banned me. I was actually, like, I was you know. looking through some Twitter thread and some guy I've never heard of was just like, why'd I get banned? I was like, who, yeah, who are you? Like, <laughs> right. And <laughs> right. then I looked, I looked through his, his Twitter and I didn't get an answer. Because it's yeah. super contextual. Because it's like, yeah, if someone was like, I don't know if they were like on the GDQ stream, like saying death threats, then they would probably be like, okay, yeah, it's like this dude is banned. But for a lot of the things that are like, it's not even on stream. It's just like someone at the hotel like did something wrong. It's like that's if it if like I think the only thing that would ever like require mentioning of stuff it's like it was actually on stream and it was a problem. Otherwise, it's like I don't. It's like it's not really related to the stream, which is like what the point of the event is. Sort of. I don't know. It's their decision. I would also have banned him if that was our event. To be completely honest with you, that would be my call on that like the thing is if you're not going to be responsible then you're 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 not responsible enough to attend the event that's really all it boils down to i can't comment specifically on the bubbles stuff but i i will just say that if somebody gets banned for whatever reason we absolutely tell them why and we don't publicize it simply because it's not really public business. Yeah. So anything else that comes afterwards, agree. that's that's on on them, and that's why we simply don't comment on on any of the decisions relating to that. That makes sense to me. I think that's like how you should be going about it. Yep. So that's just to reiterate our policy on that. Well, yeah, sure. And I mean, you don't. We didn't ask you here to to be a GDQ I forgot staff. he was staff. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not why you're here. <laughs> I wanted yeah, to talk like, about the book. Not, and that's not the point. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Like, so I hope you don't feel like I'm putting you on the spot or anyone's no, putting you on the spot fine. for this stuff. Cause. Anyway, uh, I guess, yeah, back on Dragster, uh, Alt Insider had a question way earlier of like, have you done any like fake run analysis or just any kind of uh, just like uh, whether or not a run is legit kind of like science? That's been a, uh, there's been a big upswing in that lately. Shout outs to Lee, dude. <laughs> you really started a movement. <laughs> Lee there, with guys. the controller cam. <laughs> I, um, I'm not particularly motivated just to go and like 
hmm, I wonder if anything's up with this like historical run or anything like that. Like I, I explained earlier in the show the reasons that I went specifically for Dragster. Yeah. Um, right. The only other kind of analysis that I've done in that same, like trying to find a, trying to catch somebody in a lie, so to speak, is just during the Dragster stuff, um, some of the other records that would show up on TG um, for other Atari games or whatever else that had like a seemingly impossible score, I would do just some extremely basic um, hackery to try and figure out, hey, is this even a score that you can get? Like, uh, I think I looked at Centipede, for example. Oh, like yeah. 65 like, million one. 65 million, yeah. Uh, my first question was, can it actually display 65 million? <laughs> um, and, can and it I, actually? It, it can. Um, I, oh, I went nothing. through, and uh, it it rolls over after that. Um, but I, I just wanted to answer that question. Yeah. That was just a point of curiosity for me. So I found that out. <laughs> Do you verify runs for any of your games? Um, you mean for... Like speedrun.com? Yeah. Um, just in general, yeah. Yeah, and speedrun.com, I guess, would be the answer. Or like any SDA runs that you yeah. may have verified in the past. Uh, I mean, I've, I've verified a number of them in the past. And, and I for the SDA runs that I worked with, I did due diligence as far as like just making sure that commodities, like health and things, didn't suddenly change between screens. Um, but for a lot of the games that I was looking at, I wasn't completely knowledgeable on them to the point where I'd be mm-hmm. able to catch somebody doing something particularly nefarious. To have that as an expectation, like as a legitimate expectation that you at a verifier would be able to catch any type of, of cheating is just unrealistic. And that oh, goes yeah. with any, any type of, of flow. Um, right. At the very least, you can just uh, find things based off of glaring flaws um, from the start. Mm-hmm. How hard would it be to make a program that, like uh, the spectrogram that reads audio as like the audio like to lines? So I actually uh, make a- looked at this in the past, oh. um, and the answer is is way more technical. But the, oh, the sure. simple side is that it would be easy. Because what you're really looking for is sudden shifts in phase. Yeah, like to get a program that would just like go through every, like videos and to look for shifts like that. Yeah, the short answer is that it would be possible. The thing is, I don't know how much success you'd actually have with that, simply because what that's meant to catch is splicing, right? Yes. Right. And with the way the technology that we have now, splicing is one way you can do it, but there's almost certainly an easier way to cheat than, than just trying yeah. to stitch things together poorly. And could you get false positives? Uh, I'm not. I'm like I have that. No idea. You you possibly could, and that could also be an artifact of where you're getting the video from. Like, mm-hmm. if nobody's using SDA anymore, they're probably not sending the videos directly to SDA to host, and that means that people are trying to pull runs off of YouTube, and YouTube could have done whatever YouTube does to them. Um, they could be stream right. vods. Uh, like, there's a lot of things that could throw you. That that might confuse. So, yeah. it's not a perfect uh, solution. It's something that could be made. I don't know how much it would help. Yeah, because I'm I'm curious to have like just to have some kind of programs like that, which, which would just like automate checking for certain ways of cheating, even if it's like if it's not like the most common way. It's still something and be neat yeah. mm-hmm. just to see if it. Could be done. Well, even if it's not you, that you run helpful. into some issues too if you're looking at games that commonly put up their runs with loads removed. 
yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so things like that. <laughs> Having gone through everything with Dragster is, is, as far as I know, you said it wasn't influencing the history side of the book. But are you going to add any, or has it influenced anything as far as adding, we're potentially considering anything like about verifying runs? Is that an aspect of like the, you know, the experience of speedrunning that you're going to include in the book? Or I would say that that is still separate from speedrunning. Um, yeah. Like if you are interested in doing that, there's resources that you can go and try and check into that. But by and large, trying to like detect cheating and something else is... Right. is Hopefully not something that you have to do as a speedrunner. So um, that's not something yeah. that I, I included. I do have a chapter on cheating specifically that covers kind of the motivations behind why somebody would cheat, why it's a problem, or why it's important. But um, I don't go into how do you pick it apart or anything like that. Right, right. How do you expect... So I'm, I'm just going off of some of the earlier questions here. I think I kind of understand what this question is going at. An example I can give was with uh, Grand Theft Auto Vice City. With the Cannonball K9 run that was on SDA, he did a he did a different driving route, and when people were streaming on Twitch, they did not do that driving route, and people just kept doing this driving route. Oh, this streamer is doing it, and turns out the Cannonball K9 driving route was faster than what everyone else was now doing. So it's just, you know, I think it's a chain reaction of people see someone doing one thing and they just keep going, 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 and they forget to look back in the past and properly time things and go, oh, what's actually going on here. Yeah, I think that then yeah, that's that's the thing that just applies to its like misinformation in general that gets perpetuated. Then I guess with speedrunning, since it's like a lot more goal oriented, it's easier to see if it's like you can just time what's faster or slower. Yeah. Uh, and while people might be like lazy, they just like see someone else do it, so I'm just going to do that. Uh, yeah, right. It's, that's, it's understandable. This is something I bring up um, in my chapters on the practice of speedrunning. So like, yeah. this is the how-to guide of my book. And as part of that, I say that if you're starting out on a game, you should be involved with each step of it. Like, You might have some information that's already out there for you, um, like other people have done work and say, hey, um, I've made these decisions based on what I had. And you can certainly accept that information, but at some point, you should also be involved with testing it out yourself uh, making sure that you don't see another solution. Um, and this is something that comes up a lot, not because people are, are dumb and they don't think about things. It's just when you're speedrunning a game, you're already playing for thousands of attempts in, in a lot of cases. And you settle into a rhythm and you start to, to kind of get tunnel vision. You're, you're locked into doing things yeah. a certain way because that's the way you've done them. And you really need somebody else with a fresh set of eyes, and it's just like, well, you could also just use the back door. There's a lot of revelations that happen that way. And it's just, you, you need those other insights. And if you're simply going to try and emulate the runs that are out there, you're, you're not going to um, be able to advance the game beyond uh, what it currently is very well. So basically what you're saying is don't just grind attempts. You have to actually like try to find new stuff in your game. You can't just go with what's established. There is a lot of well-known cases of people just like not checking Nico or like the Nico <laughs> yeah. RTA wiki or, yeah. or YouTube. Just YouTube your game mm -hmm. plus the word glitch and your route is changed completely all of a sudden. The instruction manual could label a, yeah. a, an action or tech that you didn't know about. That's happened. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
Yeah. There's, there's yeah. honestly, and there's a non-zero chance of people playing games right now. There could be some hot tech on SDA, but because like the most popular streamer of the day does a certain route, no one's going to look because lol SDA. It's obvious. It's yeah. in, a run on yeah. SDA is inherently out of date in the minds of a lot of people, even if it is the record mm-hmm. still. I don't even know if it's that no one's going to look. I think that even no one looking for the tech, I think that there's probably games on, on speedrun.com that people did this route and everyone did the route and no one actually like tried to find anything new, you know, just in general. Like, I think that that's part of the issue is, is people, if a game is small enough, because it was a question about smaller communities, if a game is small enough, I think that there's just not people putting the time in like to, to discover new stuff. We, I mean, there's people in the Souls community that literally don't speedrun, but do look for faster speedrun stuff. There's, um, there's a couple different things with that, too, where the face of speedrunning is doing attempts. You don't go yeah. and watch people route a game, typically. Like, some people do stream that, and it's great. I, I, I love, love routing streams. Routing games. Um, but for the most part, what's going to get the viewers is you sitting down and trying to grind out that 104 Super Mario Odyssey or something like that. Um, and that's what people see. So they just think, hey, I'm going to go and do that. Um, and I'm just going to do the exact same things, and we're going to jump right in. But the, the full process, you're, you're missing out on a lot of knowledge that would actually get you going. Let's see. There was another question here on cheating, whether it was rampant in the early days of SDA. I don't think any more than it is today, maybe like at least a little less. Like certainly not more yeah. than today, but it, it could happen. There probably are. There, there were a couple of, of notable runs that were found to be faked later on. If I could guess when the most cheating took place, it wouldn't be speedruns. It would be really old retro games like Dragster. Like it would be like games like that, where I would expect there to be the most cheating, to be honest with you, because there was so much less of a chance of getting caught. Well, there's so many fewer artifacts, too, that give testament to whatever you try to achieve. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, Cody recently, was like the, he'd been routed dead space on his own just because he was, like, interested in the game and found, like, the SDA run is, like, guaranteed. Uh, like, he hasn't found, like, proof yet, but he's, like, if you understand the gameplay, it's, like, this is, like, it's not human what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And, like, the, like he'll get, like, perfect reaction times, perfect luck, stuff like that. Like, it, it, it looks like a task sort of deal. Mm-hmm. Right. And... Yeah, like shit like that. It, it it happens. It's always happened. Well, it's happened a lot before. There's no reason to think it will never happen again or that it didn't happen in the 80s or 90s. And it's like... Yeah, I would say that the general proportion of cheated runs to total run output has actually gone down. But that's mainly yeah. because there's just been more people. I could see like the... Uh, but like also that speedrun's gotten more popular. Like the allure of getting a record, if that's the motivation for cheating, would also be greater. But I guess that's true. I don't really understand. Like I, like I've never bothered cheating shit myself, so I don't really know what like yeah. motivations people like. Because most of the ones I've seen were from like other runners who was like, I just, I just didn't want to grind anymore or some shit like that. So I just put a a run where it's like I, I just didn't have to deal with this. Like they just got tired of it or something like that. Since I started getting into speedrunning to begin with, you know, a lot of people have been caught, and it's been more consistent. Like it's growing the number of people that are getting caught, I think it's a a deterrent. People are starting, especially now, like what he was saying with what Omnigamer was saying about like how he thinks the numbers have gone down. I agree with him. Like, I think that just in general, the fact that 
someone could easily like put the time in. You know, the communities are big enough now. Speed running in general is big enough now that someone could very well put the time in to, to check and see if you're bullshitting. And like, if you are, they could very easily figure it out. I think that that's kind of the big differentiator. I think that uh, the numbers have definitely probably dropped off. I think we're just seeing a lot of people finding records that are older. You know, like the Super Meat Boy record. Yeah. How long was that a record for? While. Yeah. At the time, it was a record, but it, it, like it, it, the the run itself was was passed as credible for for years, but it was beaten. So it's like technically, it wasn't a record uh, mm-hmm. until it was discovered to be cheating. If even if you take his word for it, not to be RTA. Mungo meets Scott. Uh, do you think speedrunning being heavily atomized over the last few years and the intense optimization many games have gone through has been a preferable direction for speedrunning compared to the older model of a more close knit community of renaissance man like runners? That's just specialization. Yeah. I mean, uh, the more common it gets, yeah. the more like community, the larger the community gets, the more specialization there will yeah. be. Yeah, um, like with Grand Theft Auto, you know, used to be only like. Adam AK Oasis S and a few others running it and then more and more people started running it towards uh, 2013 and then you know the more people start running the game the more shit that gets found out so someone found out oh you can buy buildings by doing a replay to keep your money and then you know duping got found so just more and more people there's eventually gonna be that one person that wants to read the game code and fuck around and goes oh shit I broke the game and I mean I think Ocarina of Time was a similar thing more and more people started running it and Wrong Warp just somehow got found oh I guess, like, for him to say, like, yeah. is it going in a preferable direction? I think so. I, I, think, I, think, I think so. I think if you operate yeah. under the assumption Absolutely. that the goal of speedrunning is to beat a game as fast as possible, then this is a natural evolution. Mm-hmm. It does beg the question of, like, what is the preferable dire- direction for you? Because if you just want to have, like, you know, you and, like, your three boys running games... Yeah, maybe. if you want to be the old boys club and you're the speedrunners. Right. I just don't think that, uh, in general, like... Like Caveman said, the goal of speedrunning is to beat the game as fast as possible. So the more eyes you get on a game, the more optimized the game's going to get. Lately, popularly, it doesn't seem like that's the case. But I think the goal of speedrunning is to be <laughs> sure, sure. That's that's should that's that's in theory that is the goal of doing a speedrun, right? So there are zero disadvantages to more people getting into things so that the game is faster and more optimized. Like that's just making it better. And the last one here, would you approach finding a potential way to break a game when you may have the means to do so, but not the knowledge to look into RAM values, for example, um, to check if anything that may uh, lead into your desired outcome without brute forcing? I would say a lot of times you don't need the special skills to be able to read like the game's code or look at its RAM values or anything else like that to discover either an oversight or a glitch or anything like that. Um, yeah. If you have a suspicion that these two walls are set up in such a way that if you just walk up to them and keep jumping, you might go through them, your best bet is just to keep trying that in different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like if you just casually play a game a lot, you might notice some weird thing happen. And I'd say just keep an eye out for like when the game does something you don't expect and then try to test that, see what happens. Generally, stuff that happens in my games, it usually happens by accident over the course of doing many playthroughs and runs. And when that mm-hmm. happens, I go, hey, this happened here. Let me replicate it in every other place in the game where it could potentially happen. And then once I understand right. how that works, I can take that understanding of this game 
into other games. Maybe the game has a sequel and the same thing happens. There, mysteriously, there's always an infinite jump involving the slingshot in Ape Escape games. Why? Who knows? <laughs> but they just, for whatever reason, slingshots equal flying in Ape Escape. That is a canon thing. So what works in one game might work in another game. Especially if it's by the same developer. Like Dark Souls 2, when, we disco- when someone randomly discovered parrywalking in PvP, this was like literally had nothing to do with speedrunning. Someone just, it happened. When that happened, we were like, oh crap, let's figure out how that works. Let's get it consistent. We did that. And then we figured out where we could try to get around stuff and break the environment. We had no idea of the game code or anything like that. But we figured out that it was an animation cancel glitch. So then when Dark Souls 3 came out, the teardrop glitch that uh, was so famously showed off at one GDQ at some point, um, that glitch like, literally works exactly the same way. It's an, it's an animation cancel. Like, because people were like, hmm, they fucked that up last time. I bet they fucked it up again, even though they fixed it. And sometimes you can go the reverse direction. Like, a primary movement tech in Ratchet & Clank 3 multiplayer deathmatch ended up being the primary speed tech in Ratchet & Clank 1. Sonic, yeah, Sonic, like, a Sonic game sort of thing where it's, like, slow glitch and uh, Sonic... Three is where it's applied most, but it was discovered in Sonic One when uh, TNT liked to do it on uh, yeah Scrap Ring Three, where it's like essentially you could, the level would have like some weird tricks discovered probably just from oh yeah it's just wall clipping so just moving in weird ways near walls uh, you found it's like oh it's like the way slope glitch works you get you land on a slope the same frame that you like leave it sort of deal or the slope is, like, destroyed if a thing goes astray, and then it's, like, whatever angle you uh, set on, it's, like, even if you can run infinitely, so if a hill stops, you'll just keep running as if it, it didn't. Yeah, like, games, like, even even outside of Sonic games, like, some, like, just, there's general, there, there's common mistakes that a programmer could make or a, just that a game could have between others. The last thing that I want to say on this is that Whenever you're looking at RAM values or code or anything like that, you're trying to understand more about how the game functions. So before you get to that point, you should already have an idea of what you're looking for. Um, You're basically never going to find a new glitch simply by trying to read the game's code. There's just too much. You're going to get lost in so many different ways. So all the highly technical skill sets where you actually try to dig in and find out what values are changing and everything else, that comes after you've already found the glitch or the the bug or the oversight. And simply, if there isn't one there, then there isn't one there. You're not, it's not going to just be in there. Yeah, there's, there's, there's not like the myth of, oh, I'll just sock folder my way through this wall here. That's not as much <laughs> of a thing. Even if, like, even if theoretically, like, like, there was like, yeah, it's like an error in code, like the amount of of knowledge and and, and tooth combing you'd have to, to have to to find like literally like oh this zero that's not where it should be or like there's shit. when yeah. when people look at like memory addresses in an emulator they're not looking at the matrix yeah because <laughs> <laughs> pretty much yeah like like to use cheat engine you're just like looking for you already know what you're looking for going in yeah it is to like yeah to fine tooth like to, like to understand some function it's yeah. I would be shocked if the extremely overwhelming majority of glitches that are actually useful in speedruns were not found just by playing yeah. the game. Yeah. A lot. 
And that's that's really what it boils down to. I think with speedrunning, if you're going to speedrun a game, you've got to play it a lot. You've got to know the game. That's part of that first question where it was like people just running routes that they saw. Someone could just pick up a game and run a route that they saw in the world record video and then no one ever finds the the next glitch because they don't devote the time to it. Someone could also run a game without even playing it casually. They just know the speedrun, that's the end of story. Yeah, play the game casually, look at videos of someone else playing it, see, you know, just like through, after playing a game enough, you'll notice weird behavior. My recommendation for glitch hunting. And if you ever think you're bad at a game, just watch a DSP video and all that will get yeah, cleared. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. Even DSP might stumble into something that'll change your life. As far as if, you think, if you think you're a bad speedrunner, watch Mr. Speedrun. And then it's like, you know what? Maybe I am. Maybe I am really good. Well, Naglaria said the magic word. He said, he said recommend. So I think it's there, our closing segment, before we get to plugs, we're going to recommend something. And uh, I have something pretty special. I've actually got a... Uh, a pre-release version of the special edition remake of Dark Souls. I've got it right here. Um, it's the Legends oh, of Dark nice. Souls. <laughs> it's on the Wii. Yeah. Um, it's Legends of Dark Souls because you can play as Zelda. Uh, it's on the Switch, rather, which is why it's also T-rated. It's, it's not as good as original Dark Souls, but now that the Demon Souls servers are down, I'm just saying, you know, it's only a matter of time. So go out and get yourself a copy of Legend of Dark Souls to really enjoy it while you can. I'm going to stop getting Bitcoin and just get copies of Legend of Dark Souls in yeah. a massive And don't collection. forget to get Dragster from your local retro game store. Oh, I just want to say that uh, I've totally posted a picture of that from being in Walmart in the Souls Discord. Yep, I, I, was, at, I was at Walmart today and I bought it. That was, the, that was the train of thought. I was like, there it is, going to buy that. I guess my recommendation would be if you if you like a if you like a console a lot get flash drives. I mean, it, it's cheaper than buying each game individually, and it's convenient. And they might not be able to play every game like Night Trap on the Sega CD thirty two X. But uh, you know, they're if you just like playing games, I mean, they're they're a good investment. And don't forget to uh, read Omni Gamer's book if you're in chat. You got a link right there, <laughs> and I assume there will be a link down below on the YouTube video. Uh, there's a preview right now. The full <laughs> thing is coming soon. It's on the fangamer.com slash product slash speedrun dash book. And yeah, check it out. Or, or you can just go to speedrunscience.com. That as well. Take you right Even there easier. Yeah. Oh, shit. Much easier. You, so what's your recommendation? Uh, my, read the book. my recommendation is somebody should play the games that I've speedrun. Ooh, that's always a good one. All right, one. I'm going to play Dragster yeah. just for that's you. That's a good one. Well, let's, let's not do Actually, Last year, I did plan on uh, getting yeah. a Game Gear and playing through, um, what's the, R- like the action RPG? Yeah, I wanted to play through that because that looks like a pretty cool game. Mm-hmm. And uh, There's another one, like Psychic World or something. Psychic World is uh, it's like a interesting too, yeah. Or it, might, it, it's no, it looks like it's not a, like a, a great game, but still like fun. Mm-hmm. Future Cop. Omni runs the hottest games. He always does. <laughs> I'm going to recommend buying a Game Gear and uh, playing Sonic Triple Trouble. Oh, because fuck. Of all the games to recommend. I know. Jesus. Of all the games to recommend, like, there's Sonic actually, Triple Trouble. Like, uh, there's actually like pretty good games. And, yeah, but uh, I don't yeah, want them to play good games. Those things are f- gigantic. Dude, seriously. Like, this is... Like, it's it's absurd. It takes how many double A's? How many? Six, six, I think. Six, six double A's. My recommendation yeah. then would be to get the AC adapter for the Game yeah. Gear. Get, 
Do oh, not, have do it. not yeah, put I, batteries in. I want a Wonder Swan. When's Wonder Swan capture? Come on, guys. <laughs> Wonder Swan captures legitimately, technically impossible. Okay. <laughs> the thing runs well, at 72 hertz. All right. Well, so that's, that's not impossible. I bet a data path could capture that. I, I bet I could get my get data path to capture 72 okay, hertz. Okay. Good, good luck uh, tapping into the RGB lines. Get, get yourself, get yourself a, a Wonder Swan color or crystal. That's the actual issue with Wonder Swan capture. So uh, I guess that's it for the episode. Thanks, Omni, for... Uh, Thanks for being on. Thanks for having me. See you. Bye. Later, everybody. No Major Opinions was recorded in front of a live Twitch audience. 